Welcome to Seemingly Ordinary. I'm back with Reed Wilkinson, who is one of my favorite people to interview, but I might say that about practically everybody I interview, but Reed really is awesome, and I would interview him once a month for the rest of my life if I possibly could. Um, he is a 21, is it 21? 22. 22-year-old yes. law student, almost a law student, and he is the author of Don't Tread on Me. It's a 114-page book that is available on Amazon. In a previous podcast, we discussed this book. I think it's extremely clear and vivid and well-informed, and it's just a delight to read. It's just loaded with good stories. So please do check out his book, and also please check out that episode of this podcast. It's actually episode number 100. So today, we're going to be talking about what Reed has learned so far in college um, and in life. What were your plans going into college? So, uh, like I said, you got to kind of start for me, like my junior year of high school. So okay. right going into my junior year, I was like 6'2", 150 pounds. I was a, I was a little guy. And, oh my but gosh. But I, I had a goal of playing college basketball, and that was something I really wanted to do from like a young age. Um, so I made the deal with my dad who really helped me to fix my diet, fix my workouts. Mm. And so from the summer going into my junior year, I gained like, I mean, 40 some pounds. I mean, I mean that happens with like first time weightlifters. You gain a ton of weight right away. I mean, that's mind blowing. Cause I remember actually seeing you in the hall and just being <laughs> staggered, yeah. just being knocked over <laughs> because yeah, I remember six foot two, 150 pounds. Mm -hmm. And then let's just add 40 pounds of rock solid muscle. Yeah, I mean, it was. It, I, I had other people coming up to me in the hallways, like, "Dude, you got big." I'm like, right. "Thank you, I appreciate that." But I did. It, I did it for basketball, and I, I did it. I worked on, you know, I threw down my first dunk that summer, and I, I was able to get more, not just like muscular, but like athletic in general. Um, and so that came back to bite me halfway through my junior year of basketball season. So um, we were we were playing a game. This was like I think first game back from Christmas breaks, like January 3rd or something like that. And I, I played a game and I felt something kind of tweak in my back and I was like, okay, that, that kind of hurt, but it's nothing like so super serious, like whatever. Okay. Um, and I went to, cause, cause my usual routine was working out after practice and basketball games because I would do my homework during study hall or do it during like you know, if practice was at like five o'clock and I would just stay after school and just do my homework until practice. Um, so I had time to go work out after practice. So I went to work out at like the gym that I went to, <clears throat> excuse me, and I was deadlifting. And for some stupid reason, I decided I wanted to go for a PR that night. And so I PR'd at like, I mean, at the time it was like 405 or something. Okay. It was... It was a decent amount. Okay, I lift weights, but I don't deadlift. Maybe I need to start. I'm going to assume that's a ton of weight, 405. Yeah, it's, well, if you do, learn proper form first. I right. didn't. And so that's that's why it came back to bite me because um, I don't know the full extent of my injury because I don't frankly remember it. Okay. But I do know that I tore my tailbone in two pieces. Oh my gosh. I, I herniated at least one disc and I had two or three bulging discs all in my lower back. So... The next day I woke up, I literally could not walk. And I, like, had to get on my phone and call my parents. I'm like, hey, um, I need some help really bad. Like, I, I cannot, like, put pressure on my feet. Oh, my gosh. And, uh, yeah, it was... As a high school guy. I was, I was 17 at the time, yeah. Okay. I, I just turned 17 in okay. October. So I... That was really crushing because I talked to my basketball coach and I said, hey, coach, I 
I'm not going to be able to practice for a few days because yeah. I messed up. He was he was really cool about it. He's like, yeah, I totally get it. Like, just if you wouldn't mind just running the score clock or something and help okay. us out. I'm like, of course. Okay. So a few weeks later, about I guess not a few weeks, but a week later, I got an MRI in my back and it revealed all those things. Okay. And that sucked because I was told by my doctor and my dad, who's an orthopod, said that you were done for the season and okay. probably for a few months after the season because of how bad the injury was. And so that Jeez. was horrible because, yeah. I mean, ba- basketball was my life. I, I, I woke up, I ate specific foods for basketball. I did that whole summer thing. Um, you know, it was just, it was a really tough blow. And, and so I finished the season just kind of being like a water boy pretty much. Okay. Um, talked to my physicians, got to physical therapy and did physical therapy from about February until about, I want to say August of the following year. So almost six months of just core strengthening. And like, I couldn't do true physical therapy for the first couple weeks because it was still like healing. But I I remember the surgeon told me, he was like, you're lucky that this happened when you were so young and it can heal essentially on its own. Okay. Because Um, if had you done that when you were say 40, that's a weight lifter. It would have required like a surgery or two. Like I would have needed a year of physical therapy. It was like again, like I didn't know how bad it was until wow. like eight eight months down the line. My dad's like, because there were there were some issues going on with with something else, and he was just like, you don't know the extent of how bad that was. Like you almost had to be done with sports for good. Period. Yeah, and I was. Have you made a full recovery? You know, I, I'd say yeah. Okay. I just I just have to be careful with with dead. I don't deadlift anymore. I, okay. If I squat, it's always lightweight for reps. I don't really do anything that's gotcha. like. Well, I mean, bad. you're a big guy right now. Are you still lifting? Mm-hmm. I am. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you look very, very physically fit. Yeah. 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 I lost like just in the past like two months, like 112 pounds because okay. I was on anti-anxiety medication. So once I got off of it, like I found that within two or three weeks, I was already down to a weight that's way more comfortable for me and my back. So going into my senior year of high school, um, I had played a little bit of basketball over the summer to kind of like get ready for my uh, high school school season. But also there were some college coaches who were coming to look at me over the summer to ask me to play. And there was one college that I hadn't been in contact with. They contacted me first. It's a college called Simpson in I think it was Iowa. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Simpson. Yeah. I know about that one. Yeah, it was it's a, like Grinnell, maybe. Yeah, yeah, ex- exactly. Okay, yeah, it's a great school. I, I never toured it, but I did an online tour because it's you know so far. Okay. Um, the coach was recruiting me, and he really wanted me to play. Uh, excuse me. And um, going into my basketball season, I felt great. I you know was doing really well. I, you know, season went okay it was kind of a rebuilding year for the school it wasn't anything great okay but at the end of the season i had benedictine rockhurst simpson johnson county community college um this other school um i forget the name of it but it's a smaller like naia school okay and everybody's interested they were interested they didn't offer me but they were interested and i I had been or mid-america nazarene that's what it is okay i had mid-america offered me after two or three workouts with them and that was before basketball season in my senior year um i had to turn them down because it was so expensive and they were like you can't offer me until your senior year okay jeez it also just wasn't the best fit for me. I just didn't. Yeah, all these schools were interested. Yeah, and then March, I was in talks with um, Benedict and Rockhurst, and I, I had, like, toured these schools throughout the year, and I was getting ready to 
you know, make my decision about where I was going to play. Unfortunately, um, after the schools found out that I had suffered the injury that I did, they didn't want to take a gamble with someone like me oh. because it is a re- recurring injury. Okay. Um, so they just stopped calling. And that kind of sucked because, you know, like I said, I'd played basketball since I was three years old, and so I'm 18 So at, at the time. So now it's 15 years. I'm just... Yeah. You know, it's your whole life. Th- at that time, it literally was. It yeah. Was like, it was more... It was 15 years of my 18-year life. Okay. And I, I remember... My, my last chance was um, was JUCO. So Johns County Community College, I tried out for the team, and not the same thing, but pretty much the same thing. I just never got a call back, so I just assumed I didn't make it, which is fine. Mm. Um, so I was like, kind of didn't know where to go. I texted some friends about rooming with them at KU, and they had okay. already got roommates. Um, a couple of my friends were joining fraternities, so they obviously didn't need roommates, and I was like, well, shoot, I guess I'm going to JUCO for two years. Okay. So that kind of starts, you know, my college and, you know, it, it started off pretty good. My, my classes were pretty straightforward. It was like comp psychology, political science. Cause I, I was a political science major. So I don't really know what started it, but my, a good friend of mine, I'll say, um, was with me at the school and he and I, like had some classes together and we started hanging out with this group of people that we met in the school. And at the time, uh, there was this girl that I was interested in. So I started talking to her. We're just talking, having like, you know, just a cordial relationship, nothing more than just texting. Um, and so a few weeks after the school year started, we started like seeing each other and, you know, it was fine. It wasn't anything like super serious. It was just that. Um, but for reasons, unknown she cut it off and i was like okay that's fine you know that kind of sucks like she just disappeared she didn't ghost but she definitely was like hey by the way like i gotta go like we're done i was like okay that's weird without explanation without explanation and And, and you've been kind of casually seeing her for how many months do you think like a couple weeks it wasn't anything super serious Oh, okay okay yeah and and so i was like okay that's weird and so come to find out uh well a few weeks later she approached me and wanted to start things up again, and I said, okay, because I was like, okay, whatever. Um, so I found out through that friend who was hiding this information from me that she had been cheating on me with her ex-boyfriend at the time. Oh. And I was like, okay, that that sucks. Like, yeah. <laughs> whatever. Okay. So I kind of said, screw it, just kept doing school and everything. Um, like, you were kind of like hey, thanks for the offer, but no thank you. Yeah, at the time, I was, like, upset, you know, okay. obviously. But now looking back, I'm like, you know, it really wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah. It was kind of just, like, whatever. Um, so that happened, and that that was that was weird. Um, but I remember talking with a new friend I had made at the new job, because I, I worked at retail at that time, and I had made a new friend at that time, and he was helping me through it, and he was also going through something, like, very similar. Okay. Um, so we became really good friends. So fast forward to maybe like the beginning of the second semester of uh-huh. college. You know, I'm doing great. I'm hanging out with my, my my guy friends. We're watching football every weekend. We're hanging out. Friends are coming in from, you know, town or out of town from college. And we just had like a great time just like hanging out with friends. And like, you know, I, I learned at that time that like friendship is very, I mean, you have to have like, 
friends who don't don't always agree with you on everything, but right. friends who are like kind always, of simpatico. Yeah, exactly. Like like you know, like I I saw this thing that was like when it comes down to it, like the people who are always like standing there beside you when everything is is going to hell are the people who like are truly your family. Yeah, I like that. I like that's a very good. Uh, do you mind if I just interject a few things that I've read about friendship recently sure, that I just think are very powerful? Um, I think this idea might come from Aristotle. Mm-hmm. And he basically said that friendship provides us with most of our happiness in life. Mm. That it's it's actually the greatest situation. It's actually better than spouses mm. oftentimes, which is kind mm. of mind-blowing to think about. And here's why. Mm. Because your spouse comes with work obligations. Like you get married, you've got those kids. And it's great, it's wonderful, it's lovely, it's awesome. It's also a work situation in part, and there's a little bit of do or die that's going to come with this, you mm-hmm. know? Like if you mess this up, well, then you're going to mess up your kids and you don't want to do that, yeah. you know? Uh, and you could mess up the marriage and you don't want to do that either. Mm-hmm. Now, a friendship, friendship is the greatest because it is just 100% voluntary. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we have too many other relationships in life that are 100% voluntary, so a friend is somebody that you really want to spend time with mm-hmm. because you're doing it. And so like, hey, I'm hanging out with these guys. It's because I genuinely, really, truly want to do it. It's 100% voluntary. Mm-hmm. Now, on the other side of all this, that makes it fragile. Mm. You know, because the minute your life circumstances radically change, <clears throat> one of your friends gets married, they have four kids. Mm-hmm. You might not see very much of them anymore at that point. Mm. Like, you know, like let's say one of your friends gets married and has quadruplets. That guy's <laughs> going to be super busy yeah. at that point. And it's not that he's like going to want to shun you. Mm-hmm. It's just life circumstances. It's just how it works out. Yeah, I mean, I, I really like that. I'm not, I'm not really familiar with that, but that's a really good way of putting it, honestly. Like, yeah. I, I mean, when it comes down to it, like, you know, you have the people you're dating or uh-huh. you're friends with. Um, but yeah, I, I really do think the people you're friends with, you're right, do yeah. have a really big part of your happiness. And, you know, that's that's why. And it's fragile. It, it, it's well, fragile because the know. minute your life circumstances change or maybe people's opinions go polar opposites or something else. Because friendship is two people looking in the same direction. Mm, I like that. Yeah. I So... Well, that's that's something that actually you just reminded me is, is a good point. I, I guess I should make, but um, a few months after uh, January, uh, one of those friends who had helped me through that volatile time okay. in my life, um, the so one, the, the weird one with the girl, the weird one with the girl, yeah. Okay, well, got he because he had held that information from me, and so I was already kind of like standoffish. I was like, I don't know how much I trust you. Yeah. So I he wasn't part of that group of friends I hung out with, but then he you know, tried to hang out with me. And I unfortunately, or fortunately had to tell him no, because it was not good for my mental health, which is the best decision I ever made. Okay. Um, but then the friend who I had made while working in retail, um, tried to get me to do some not very good things. It was just not, not, not me and not who I am. I never did anything like it was, he just wanted to I'm just putting it out there. Like, if you want to smoke weed, smoke weed. But that's gotcha. just not my thing. I was like, gotcha. I, I'm not a big drinker. I'm not a big... I, I don't smoke. I've never smoked weed in my life. Yeah. And that's just not something for me. And he pressured me and pressured me and pressured me to the point where I was just like, I'm done. Like, Gosh, I that's ridiculous. Like, why do people have to pressure so I don't much? know. It's, that's, that's just ridiculous. I know. And it, it was to the point where I was just like, 
you're pushing this so much. Like, yeah. I have to start questioning your, like, motive at this right. point. Well, I mean, I, okay, I think I know why people push like that. Mm -hmm. It okay. justifies their own existence. You know, because, like, whatever the case may be. Like, let's say, I don't know, I'm a big rugby player, and, mm -hmm. like, everything for me is rugby. Well, then I'm going to become a big, passionate advocate of rugby. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think everybody ought to be playing rugby. And then if one of my friends is not playing rugby... It really makes me question my whole life choice. Interesting. I've never heard of that perspective. So if I could get him to also play rugby, hmm. well, then I don't have to question my life choices anymore. That's a good point. You know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I got I to win you over in order to make my own ego remain intact. I think you're right. Because it was at this time, too, when I started to really focus on my grades and doing okay. extracurriculars to really help my, my, my just overall resume yeah. for school because I, I, I don't know if weed's going to work all that well with <laughs> not, not very well <laughs> as a lifelong teacher <laughs> I'm just gonna like the kids who would come in and be like dude I didn't do the math homework I forgot to do this <laughs> then they're like do you have any food and you're like you did the weed <laughs> yeah well I, I didn't know it came with its own accent oh, I God. shouldn't be making fun of people like this it's legal in a bunch of states you know I'm not going to do it myself I'm yeah. you know I'm too old to start and I don't want to do it I'm kind of, yeah I'm I'm the same way I'm not I'm just kind of at the point where I'm like if you want to do it just do it just don't make it my problem like don't drive yeah. on it I don't really yeah I don't care yeah um you know it's <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's definitely not for me, and I'm not sure it should be legal. To be entirely honest, I'm kind of I'm on the I'm on the fence because I'm like, if you regulate it like alcohol, uh -huh. who cares? You know, do uh -huh. it in your home. Mm -hmm. Don't do it in public. Don't do it in a public place like smoking. Mm -hmm. Don't do it while you're driving. Don't do it while sporting. It, it's just okay. basic stuff. I mean, that's it for me. Um, I mean, I, I get the argument that it is the gateway drug yeah. to other things yeah it has what's called reverse predictability but i don't know if that means anything because you could take all the heavy duty drug users like i don't know pcp mm -hmm. lsd just all those type of things whatever the heavy drugs are 87 percent of all those people have tried marijuana mm -hmm. so i mean it has what they call reverse predictability i wonder if it's a case where it's like all Hard drug users have smoked marijuana, but not all people who smoke marijuana are hard, have will try hard that, drugs. That's correct. Yeah, so some, it, it some people be. stop right with marijuana. Mm -hmm. There's know? there's a lot of people I know who have smoked weed and then they just stopped and they're like, yeah, it was cool, it was a fun time, but like I just don't want to yep. do it anymore. I just, yep. I mean, some people have that addictive personality too, or they just they yes. want to have something. They want the do. next the next best thing. Exactly. Like, hey, I rode the little roller coaster. <laughs> what do you guys got a big roller coaster? Exactly. Yeah, one with sharks. <laughs> Like you know? of fun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I, I had to unfortunately drop him as a friend. And I, I say drop him not because I, I say lost him as a friend because, mm -hmm. I mean, at, at this point I began teaching myself and through the help of my dad that, like, there's, there's going to be some people who are going to try to, like, hold you down and yeah. like, keep you because they're so unhappy with the right. people that they are that they're like we don't, we don't want to see you move up we want to see you stay at our level crabs and in a bucket matthew surface if yeah. you're watching this shout out to you but exactly <laughs> crabs in a bucket and it's the same thing it's like yeah. they just they want to they want to pull you down and they want to keep you out even if you're found the way to to be successful and you know i'm not i'm not perfect but also like i i, I have not gone around admittedly like trying to 
tell my friends to not do something because I know it's going to hurt their career. Right. It's it's one of those things where if I if you respect me and you respect the decisions that I'm making for my life and what I want to do, you would support this decision. You know, that's true. I mean, you said basically that you had to make the friendship come to an end, but you know, to a certain degree, uh, the other guy in a certain way maybe kicked you out of the friendship by just being so insistent upon this thing, just so demanding mm-hmm. about this thing. I had somebody explain to me recently, I, I, I wouldn't have been able to say this a year ago, that in life that there's there's two kinds of relationships. One is peer-to-peer, mm-hmm. and another one is uh, kind of like boss and employee or parent-child. In other words, it's kind of like a hierarchical type of a thing. Mm-hmm. And in this case, since he was a co-worker, it's peer-to-peer. Mm. So since it's peer-to-peer, uh, bossing the other person around, it's it's just not appropriate it's not legitimate mm-hmm. uh it, it it really can do some serious damage to the friendship yeah and i think that's exactly what it did i think it 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 started i mean obviously hindsight's 2020 but like you i look back and i it's like uh what's his face solzhenitsyn said in gulag where it was if you go over your life with a fine-tooth comb you can start to see in, in great detail where things started to go wrong and oh, where yeah. things began and when you start to understand why you were in the situation that you're in and so I, before re- even reading that book years before, I did that in a way, and I was able to say, okay, he did these things to push me further and further and further up until the point that I said stop. Yeah. And then he waited. It's like the, the thing we talked about last time with Jordan Peterson. Yeah. And that if I'm waited. going to encroach upon you, I'm going to do it in a very sophisticated exactly. way. I'm going to push as far as I can until you protest. Exactly. And, and the minute that, you protest, mm-hmm. then I'm going to stop. But I'm going to be very sophisticated about it. I'm going to wait till you're tired mm-hmm. or you're distracted, and then I'm going to come back to you and push harder. And you know, it, it's funny you say that you're you're waiting for specific moments because it was always in moments when I was most vulnerable yes. that he would make these attacks. And you know, I'm not going to put his business out on the street or anything, uh-huh. but uh-huh. he he just he there there were there were moments when I would go to him and he would go to me. And he would use moments of his weakness where I was listening to him and trying to give him support to try to justify his actions, what he was doing to me. Okay. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but that's for me, it's extremely insulting that you're going to use my emotions against me. Oh, for sure. For sure. No, that's manipulation 101. <clears throat> you know, yeah. I mean, the difference between persuasion and manipulation, at least what I've read is this, is that persuasion is supposed to be essentially good. Like it might be your dad trying to persuade you to, I don't know, eat healthy or something good. Mm-hmm. Like your dad is basically going to try to persuade you to do something good. Mm-hmm. And manipulation is going to leave out key facts, key evidence, and it's not for your own good. It's for the benefit of the other person. And that's what manipulation is. Uh, kind of an interesting fun fact is uh, this book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Great which, book. Yeah, Dale Carnegie wrote this thing, I think, mm-hmm. in 1936, mm-hmm. something like that. I've read a few books on con artists, and apparently con <coughs> artists read that book all the time. Interesting. Well, well be- I mean, because the traits that a good person uses to win friends and influence people, well, a con artist also uses those exact same things. Interesting. The difference is a good person is aiming for your good, and mm-hmm. a con artist is aiming to rip you off. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the difference between the two. It's the same exact strategy and tactics. Mm-hmm. It's just that totally different motive. It, it's interesting hearing that that's already like a formal technique that trained con artists use. Yeah. But it's also so common with people my age. Yeah. And 
and oh. in people just in general. Wow. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. That people. Mani- are you saying? What are you saying? That younger people, your age bracket, they'll manipulate each other by leaving out key facts and leaving out key facts, like doing what he did, which was per- wait, per- wait till you're down and wait out. Wait till down. And and there were moments when I really needed a friend, and he really needed a friend. And it was mm. it, again, hindsight's twenty twenty, but it was always in those moments when he's like, "Hey, man, you want to smoke a blunt? You want to do these things?" I'm like, "No. Yeah. Let's talk." Like I. I tell my friends all the time, like, I just want to talk. Like, if yeah. you just want to hang out, we'll go to the Quick Trip or something, get a get yep. Coke, just talk. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's just my thing. And it's just, it's like, I don't need these things to, these extra things to make me feel complete. And I don't, and it's like, that's fine yeah, if you do. Some people like, call those things buffering. And I think, yeah. hey, that's a pretty good word. Have you heard this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The basic idea is it's like, oh, hey, I'm emotionally upset. So I think I will overdrink mm-hmm. or oversmoke or overeat or overshop. Or uh, scroll Instagram for a half an hour. Anything to basically put the emotion on hold, you know, and see if I can obliterate it. Mm-hmm. You know, and if I can obliterate the emotion, then I think, hey, I'm winning. Mm-hmm. I, of course you're not, you know, because you're not addressing the actual problem. Mm-hmm. You're just delaying it and potentially making it worse. I think delaying, delaying it is what makes it, like you just said, worse, like, more than anything. Yeah. And so, well, that relationship, friendship, whatever you want to call it, kind of came to its natural close going into my sophomore year of okay. college. Okay. Um, my, this was fall of 2019, and there's nothing really memorable that happened at that time. Um, I remember hearing on the news in November that there was a virus that was spreading in China, and at the time, I remember thinking to myself, this is, there's no way, this is dystopian stuff, this yeah. is stupid, and again, like, I, <laughs> I don't know how wrong, you don't know how wrong I was. I, I remember seeing a, because uh, JUCO had these had these uh, stuff, and it was people saying that, you know, it's wrong to say that there's a virus coming out of China. It's not something that you'd ever call the China virus. It's nothing. And this is November of 2019. We okay. saw we saw this coming from 20 miles away and didn't do anything. I mean, we did, but yeah. not anything worthy at the time. Um, so that happened. December hits. Um, nothing really important happens. January. March or February into March, it was kind of all normal. It was just school finishing up right. school for the year. Right. Um, the world kind of came crashing down on March the thirteenth, twenty twenty, for me. I remember, and it. for the people that I work with. Mm-hmm. I don't know where. I mean, it was this. Sound, I'm not trying to be funny, but like it. It literally. People have compared it to me. Where they're like, where were you on nine eleven? Where oh, were you boy. when things shut down? Wow. I'm like, first off, I think that may be a little bit of too much of an extreme uh-huh. comparison. Uh-huh. But I remember I was at a coffee shop with one of my friends from JUCO and he and I were studying for a test and I, I was about to go into my shift at, at a gym I was working at at the time and I got a phone call from my manager that was like, hey, I know you work at four tonight. Can you come in at three? And I'm like, yeah, is everything okay? And she was like, no, we're shutting down. And I'm like, why are we shutting down? And she's like, well, apparently COVID, there's this thing called the coronavirus that's like infecting people and people have already been infected who are workers and they're bedridden and they're like on their deathbed and I'm, I'm freaking out. I didn't know what the hell do yeah so i go to work and that was the most like i want to say ominous night i've ever had in my entire life because normally the gym that i worked at is this big commercial gym it's got like two floors it's got indoor outdoor pool it's it's a great gym yeah it sounds awesome and yeah it's all and and i remember how like quiet it was usually there's music playing there's people okay. running on treadmills classes going on okay there was none of that it just was just goes down it, it was scary and okay. I, I remember 
looking over at my manager and my coworker, and I, I said to both of them, I was like, there's no way that this is really going to happen. Like, I feel like this is something that you'd read out of an Orwell novel. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's weird. And yeah. they were like, well, you better believe it. It's happening. We're shutting down today. And then President Trump came on the next day and was like, we're monitoring everything really closely. But for the time being, um, everybody needs to do what they can. And, and then I got the notification the next day that said Johnson County was closing because that started my spring break was March 13th. Yeah. I think it was a... Wednesday or Thursday? Well, I, I thought it was a Friday, but it's probably a Thursday. Whatever day it was, I just remember I had just finished my last final and was getting ready because okay. I finished my final like one. Went to the coffee shop to study for an online final that I had to do on Saturday. And I remember, or midterm, I'm sorry, um, right before spring break. And I remember getting that text and I, or call. And so that was weird. Quarantine was weird. Um, I don't know how it was for you. I mean, um, if it, I mean, what did you do? During- gosh, what did I do? Well, we taught school full time. Oh, uh, you still did? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean, a lot of that. schools just basically stopped. They just kind of quit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they just forgot about the fourth quarter. They just said it's it's really not possible. And then we're in a private school. And so I, I get the impression that a lot of private schools, maybe because they have to economically, mm-hmm. then, you know... Community is very important, mm-hmm. you know, in a private school as mm-hmm. well. And so as a result, we definitely wanted to stay in business. And so we just went straight to Zoom. So like all the places that did Zoom the following September or October, we mm-hmm. were doing all of that in March, like right off the bat. That's crazy. So we went straight into that and classes, instead of being 85 minutes long, became 50 minutes long. So we were Jeez. done like around 1230 or one o'clock every day. Uh, it, it, it was good for me in the sense that I felt like, hey, I'm doing something useful for other people. I'm not just completely isolated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ramped up, I guess, how much time I was spending with family mm-hmm. uh, over the phone and the internet and things like that. And then also ramped up basically friendships in kind of the same mm-hmm. way, like phone calls, things like that. I'm glad you uh, did that. That's I, mean, I, I just, I decided, well, socially, I'm definitely going to need this. Yeah. And um, that was helpful because just the, the isolation aspect of it is just extremely depressing. Oh my and gosh. so like I, I had a lot of projects going on too. I was writing a novel in the morning before school. I was lifting weights and then... I would take walks. I don't know how much I was doing, like maybe three miles a day. Usually, oh like I read a book and walk at the same time. I do that you know? on the treadmill too. Yeah, yeah. I do that it's... just yeah out in the wild, so to speak. <laughs> um, so you know, I was spending quite a bit of time outside, and all of that was very, very good. Mm-hmm. So those, I just had kind of a regular schedule that I tried to maintain, but you know, at the same time, you're just sort of like counting down the days, and and I just I'm so grateful that in the fall, we actually decided we were going to have on-campus classes and mm. things like that because, man, if we just would have kept up the whole Zoom thing, uh, it just would have been so demoralizing, just mm-hmm. so depressing. Different people are going to have different opinions on Zoom. I, I came to the conclusion that Zoom doesn't really work, you know, for school. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think <clears throat> if you're super motivated... It might work for you. I was like one of those straight A type students. I would have crawled across broken glass to to do well, you know, in a class. But I think for a lot of people, well, I'll just tell a little story that I think I read about six or seven days into teaching mm-hmm. on this. This was in March of 2020. Well, this mom walks into her 10-year-old daughter's bedroom mm-hmm. and the kid is supposed to be on Zoom in, you know, fourth grade. 
And uh, it turns out the kid is, um, well, the teacher is talking on Zoom, but the daughter is in the closet playing with the dog, you know? So then <laughs> mm-hmm. the mom is like, what's going on? So then she runs over to the computer screen because, mm-hmm. you know, like her daughter's not sitting there. Her daughter had very cleverly put a little video on loop <laughs> of herself looking like she was paying attention. Oh, my God. Writing she's fourth grade. Fourth grade. Oh, my God. She, she, this kid's like, you know, in the video, she's writing things down. <laughs> she's nodding thoughtfully. Oh, you know, she's being like the best little student. Well, yeah, she's in the closet playing with the golden retriever. That's kind of... Okay, you got to excuse it at that point because of how clever yeah. she was when she did that. So, A plus. I mean, yeah, literally. A plus to this. Well, and kind of what this taught me was is, okay, I guess I can't do a 30-minute talk. Mm-hmm. Over, like if I'm, you know, lecturing in a history class, you know, you can make it interactive. And sure, people say you can do that on Zoom. But, you know, for every kid who's staring straight into his screen and paying attention, there's mm-hmm. another one who's playing Call of Duty yeah. Or something like that, and staring straight into his screen and looking like he's paying attention. Literally, yeah. You're, it just takes those little eye movements every like five minutes to nod. Yeah. Let's go back to what you're doing. Or sometimes, like, <laughs> you're looking at somebody and they're looking right back at you, except the problem is you can tell they're reading something. Yep. Or their eyes are glazed over. Yeah, the just... eyes are glazed over. And so I just, I, I had to change how I taught where things just had to become tremendously interactive. Mm-hmm. And then there was just a lot more, hey, here's some paper that I'd like you to read and write a response to. It just, it radically changed the way I was teaching. See, the, yeah, I mean, for me as a student, especially a college student, like, I that screwed me over more than I ever would have thought it was because I had some teachers at, at the beginning of the school year who dropped me from classes. I had five classes going into the spring semester. Two of them dropped me because they were like, yeah, we're not doing it with this with this COVID stuff. We're not we're not going to risk it. And I was like, OK, that I get you may be a little bit more scared about this. Uh-huh. But like, uh-huh. I didn't think it was a big deal. It, what do you mean yeah. they dropped you? Well, so they, they refunded me my money. Oh, and they were like, OK, they said well, the class is over. This class is over. They're like, we're not offering it this semester anymore, which is really weird. Okay. I, I talked to the dean about it because I was like, how can they just do this? Is this in fall of 21? This is uh, spring of 20. Okay. So right after the right okay. before the quarantine started about okay. spring break. Okay. And so I, I, I had three classes. And so I, I'd taken, like I said, the two of my midterms and I was, I was studying for another one because my teacher had moved it online because of how scared he was for COVID. Okay. And me and my friend were studying for that. And then coming back from spring break, one of my teachers, it was, it was like a basic law class it was so again like bless her heart Mm. but she had no business teaching on zoom how she just did not understand technology and so i'm failing this class oh wow and i want to go to law school and so i'm like how is it going to look on my transcript that i failed a class i'm supposed to be done after this semester i'm transferring to rockhurst in the fall okay how am i how is it going to look that i'm going to have to either stay another semester because i i messed up this class so bad or I can just drop it. And so I dropped yes. it. And, and they offered that semester, they were like, no W's on transcripts, whatever. So I am I had three classes that I've dropped. I finished the semester with two. And it was some stupid psychology class okay. that was just write a paper every week. Okay. And then another one was some other geography class that was just core, okay. excuse me, core curriculum. So I took two summer classes to try to catch up and then come to find out I'm actually three classes still behind oh, because of that. So... Instead of going to Rockhurst right after quarantine and everything, I had to go an extra semester at JUCO in the fall of 2020. Okay. And go to Rockhurst in the spring. And and so that time over the summer, 
Um, that was a weird time because time didn't feel real. Yeah. And as a student. Oh my gosh. Like, okay, tell me if you had an experience like this. This was just the most bizarre thing. Mm-hmm. And and I, I, I'm maybe hopping like out of the time that you're talking about. But okay, it was like October of 21. And honestly. So recently kind of. Yeah, October of 21. Uh-huh. When we were coming back, like, okay, we had, you know, we finished up. No, I'm sorry. October of 20. Okay. And my brain was like literally still stuck back in March of 2020. Yeah. Like I just like, uh, I, I could look at the calendar and, uh, I, I would just immediately forget like the minute I turned away from the calendar, instead of me thinking today is October the 22nd of 2020, I would just think we're still in March. I, I was literally in March for like six or seven or eight months. I've, I've heard this from so many people. Really? The same thing. And, and really? another thing I've heard from a lot of people is there, in, in myself included, I don't know if you're the same, but it's okay. like, I don't remember. Cause like I can look back a year ago and be like, I remember what I was doing on this day to, to a vague okay. degree. Yeah. Um, but during qu- quarantine, all I remember is working out, talking with my family mm. and my new reading, my new hobby was reading. It was the so, eternal groundhogs day is what it was. That, that's a, that's a really good point. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was, it was just groundhog day over and over and over, over and over and, and, and over over again. Or 50 first dates. <laughs> yeah. That one too. Well, that, that was my, that was my quarantine routine was I, I would wake up at like eight. I would come downstairs, make breakfast hang out for a little bit. I, that's when I started reading and really getting okay. into like reading. And so I, I would read my book for an hour. So about this time, it's maybe like nine. Okay. I would go from nine to about three or four doing my two classes because my teachers had just put so much work on us that okay. they were like, just get it done by the end of the semester. So I was just like, I'm going to get this done as fast as I can. So I wonder if that was like a common teacher thing is, well, we can't lecture over Zoom because we know you're playing Call of Duty. That's that's so what it was. I think we're just gonna dump about a hundred pages of reading on you. That that's what it was. It was like every week it was like, yeah, read chapters one through ten, okay, quiz over it, and then the next day you have a paper exam and a two hundred question or hundred question exam. It was just okay. so stupid. And I, it's good for me to hear this from the teacher point of view. Oh, you know, so it, it is. It's good for me to hear, you know, the unvarnished mm-hmm. uh, student opinions. Well, so I, keep going with them. It's good for me. Yeah, like I, I remember I I had just, the only things I remember, and I, I made it an effort. My, I remember my parents called us all into the, the living room the, the day everything shut down. Okay. And they were like, here's the deal. Or, or I guess the day that everything shut down, which was about a week later. Okay. Um. But my parents were like, here's the deal. We were blessed enough to have, like, weights in our basement. Yeah. We had, like, one machine that was, like, a leg press and, like, a lap pull-down. And you could sub the lap pull-down with, like, la- or okay. with, like triceps and stuff. Okay. And a set of dumbbells and everything. And so my parents were like, everybody in the family has to work out for at least an hour a day. You okay. Have to, you have to take the dogs on a walk. Because we had two dogs at the time. Um, you have to take... Everybody either has to take the dogs on a walk. Or if they don't want to go, you have to walk by yourself for 30 minutes. And I remember being, like... I think that's the best combat to this because yeah. if you stay healthy, yeah, the chances of if you get infected by it and getting sick oh, diminish for sure. for greatly. Sure. And for at sure. the time, we weren't talking about that because it got so politicized. Like as a country, we weren't talking about that. But I was following any number of doctors, mm-hmm. you know, with their various opinions, and it's just kind of like Captain Obvious stuff. Like, oh, eat right and exercise, get lots of sunlight and drink mm-hmm. lots of water and get lots of sleep and try to emphasize healthy relationships. Yep. And see, here's, and so I didn't talk to my friends for 
the whole time of quarantine because I just I didn't think to. Okay. And they were they said the same thing. They were like, I'm sorry, but like I just I was yeah. making sure some of my friends like grandparents got really sick and almost died. Mm. And they were just like, I just needed to be with my family and I'm like, I totally get it. Yeah. You don't have to explain yourself. And so when when quarantine finally ended in May, I went back to my gym job and I was one of like we had like four hundred employees at the time. Okay. I was one of like hundred and twenty that got called back. Okay. Because I was part of the front desk staff. Okay. And they called me back and it was it was strange because I remember seeing people outside my family for the first time and I remember not wanting to stop talking. Mm. And and I, I, I was reading a book at the time about how humans are social creatures. Yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, and, and I I'm kind of patting myself on the back for this because yeah. there's people today who say this, but they're like, We we have not really seen the effects of quarantine and yeah. what we've done to our our kids and our people right even a little bit yet right it will be another five years 10 years 15 years right before we see because there's people i know who now have anxiety and depression because they were in yes. their college dorms and they weren't able to go home because they couldn't afford a flight yeah and if they wanted to go home okay they would literally have to ride with a friend or get an Uber or do something because flights were shut down pretty much as well. And right. You, you know, it was, it was crazy. So there's people I know who like legitimately almost killed themselves because they mm. were so depressed. And so my thing is, you yeah, take I mean, anxiety whole, and depression just went through the roof on this thing. I think that's well documented. <laughs> the suicide rate, I think skyrocketed like 15% yes. over the course of I, just those two months, three I, I months. I don't know the numbers, but I know that you're right, mm -hmm. that it went up. Anxiety went up, depression went up, suicide went up, just like uh, physical lack of fitness went up, like people gaining weight and things like that went up, uh, like all, all the other things that, that can be bad, you know, like diabetes and all these type of things. All these things went up too, mm -hmm. and you know. You're right, and I think that there's so much more to health than just physical health. Oh, for sure. Like, like what we were just talking about, like, sure. like we are social animals. Like we yes. have to have isolation. We have to have people. Yeah. Well, I always think about the movie Castaway. And the reason I yeah. always think about that movie is because just nobody wants to be in that situation. And if you haven't seen the movie, it's Tom Hanks. He gets stranded on an island for four years. Mm -hmm. Basically, he's got a volleyball for a friend. <laughs> You know, and but it's so realistic in this sense. The very first thing he does when he's on the island is is he's got an injured hand, I think, and it's got blood on it. And mm -hmm. so he grips this volleyball, and it's the Wilson brand. And so then he names the volleyball Wilson. And just the way he grips it, it forms a face, mm -hmm. like with eyes and a mouth. And then he spends like an hour and a half of the movie talking to this volleyball. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess we got to have that for dramatic purposes, <laughs> but. Also, just for realistic purposes, absolutely nobody wants to be in that situation. Mm -hmm. I think that's why that movie was such a gigantic hit, because everybody's fascinated mm -hmm. by, well, what would you do in that situation? And of course, you know, he goes through every horrible emotion you can possibly imagine. Mm -hmm. no, nobody wants to be in that situation. We are not meant to be alone. We're not. It's, it's, I, I saw these things that was like, if you leave, I think we may have talked about this before, but... There was a guy on YouTube who did an experiment where he put himself in a, in, a, in a white room that only had a bathroom, a bed, and then it had water and, and liquid food. And he was there for only 72 hours, three days. Okay. And the lights never turned off. He didn't have a clock. He didn't have a phone. He didn't have a book, anything. He was just okay. by himself. 
and he suffered severe brain damage. Oh, geez. Because he came out and he had lost gray matter in his brain. Holy cow. Which, I mean, his, his, I don't want to misquote this. I think it was one of his frontal lobes had decreased in size by about 2%, which doesn't seem like a lot. No. But when it's your frontal lobe that regulates your emotions, I, I don't that's want to lose, a lot. I don't want to lose 2% of my IQ. Yeah. And he probably missed out on a lot more than that. Yeah, he... It's funny because he's actually from Stillwell, Kansas, okay. and so he's this big YouTuber now. And he, he came out and he was like, like eyes wide open, like okay. looking at everybody, like almost okay. like he was socially inept because he's like, I haven't oh. talked to people in three days. And it's like even as much as I mean, and, and other psychologists have estimated that less than three days can give you brain damage. So it's okay. like he suffered three days of wow. just boredom, and he started counting, talking to himself. He started having dreams where he was in the room. He didn't know when he was awake or asleep. And wow. It's, it's, it's really scary. And so my, my thinking goes right to COVID because it's like there were people who were by themselves in a college dorm with no one else on the floor or even in the building for that mm. matter. They couldn't go to the gym. They couldn't walk outside because the campuses were closed. Yeah. They, they could only go to get food at a store, which yeah. stores at the time were like two people in at each time. Can't yeah. talk to anybody, masks on. And you, everyone's wondering why the, there's all these people checking into therapy and, and, and homes because it's like, again, we have not seen the true effects of COVID. And right. We probably won't for a while, but right. my biggest worry besides just the, the contemporary generation of people is the kids. Kids, yeah. there's, I had a manager at, at my gym who, who had a kid right the, like two days after everything shut down. Okay. And she, I remember telling, she remember telling me in July of that year, she was like, my baby is growing up without seeing faces. Mm. When, whenever I like And people off, need that. Oh my gosh. It's, it's, it's part of. It's part of human development. Yeah. There, there was a, this is horrible, but there was a study done in, I think it was the nineties where this is, oh my God, this is horrible. I don't even want to talk about it, but I have to. I feel okay. like, but there were, there was a study done with. I think it was 50 different children. 25 okay. of them were separated into one group, 25 in the other, both boys and girls. They were all born within the same relative time of like two weeks. So okay. like it wasn't like there was anything big. Um, and the parents had been told that when your baby cries in the night, half of you like soothe them back to sleep, smile okay. at them, show your face, whatever. Okay. The other half, don't show emotion, barely oh. touch them. Oh, this is scary already. 24 of the 25 babies died who were in the group that was showed no emotion. Whoa. And like, why would they even continue the experiment? They stopped it because okay. they all died within a span of like two hours. And they were like, we don't know what's happening. And so they ended up finding out that the emotional development, I read this in a book called Emotional Intelligence that we talked about. Okay. I finally okay. read that. Is that by book. Daniel Goleman? That it one? Is. Okay. It gotcha. Is. Gotcha. I Great read book. that book about 30 years ago. I don't remember that part. He did an updated version in, okay. in 2010 okay. that had this. Okay. It. Um, okay. And so, I mean, I read it 30 years ago. I might <laughs> not remember everything, you know? Yeah. Um, and it, it, to me, that was scary because I, I, again, I immediately thought of COVID. I was like, Oh my God, like, Right. That's, we just did this to kids. And it's like that, you know, my old manager, she was like, my baby is growing up without seeing faces. And I'm like, that's scary. Yeah. That for a while, like for almost a year and a half, her baby went in public, did not see a face other than her mom and her dad. Mm. And 
that is going to be extremely detrimental okay. because kids are going to, going to grow up not knowing how to properly, one, regulate their emotions, and two, see the emotions in other people and be empathetic with their actions. Right. So my thing is you are probably going to see a large jump in crime yeah. within the next 30 years because there's another book I read called The Rise and Fall of Violent Crime in America by okay. Barry Latzer. Okay. And it talks about um, that there's a huge jump in crime from... I think it was like 69 until 1995 or something. That's roughly correct. Yeah. I mean, I lived through that. I've read about crime statistics and mm -hmm. things like that. Something like the murder rate doubled in the 1960s, and mm -hmm. then the overall crime rate tripled mm -hmm. in the 1960s, and then I was alive for the 70s. And, and it, a lot of people just felt like the wheels were coming off the bus in the 70s. People were writing articles with titles like, Should the United States Break Apart? And there were like a lot of these articles just because... Everything just seemed like it was going to hell in the handbasket. Mm -hmm. Then in the early 90s, um, in New York City, they instituted a lot of very, very modern policing techniques. Uh, a lot of stuff was based with computers. A lot of stuff was tracking data. And they would pay attention to tiny crimes. You know, for example, if there's a, kind of an uptick in broken windows in a the, neighborhood. Is that the broken window theory? Broken window theory. Yep. You know, so like just an uptick in vandalism or broken windows or just petty theft, then they would send a lot more police officers, mm -hmm. and then they would find that the greater the police presence, the less uh, violence uh, the police would actually do themselves. You know, people were always kind of like worried, well, could the cops potentially get violence? But it would turn out like the number of officers who drew their gun, that number always kind of consistently went down. Mm. So then in New York City, for example, throughout the 90s, the murder rate went from 2,000 murders a year to something like 640. I think that was in part from Rudy Giuliani yeah. in his book yeah. Leadership. He talks yeah. about that. Yeah, he does. Yeah. He does. And so that's kind of what they did, basically, is they, uh, you know, for example, if, if uh crime started to go up in a local neighborhood. They would ask, well, who just got out of prison? Mm -hmm. And so then they would find out, well, okay, this guy and this other guy, they just were released last week. And what do you know? Crime is beginning to spike in this yep. neighborhood. So then they would go talk with those two guys, and then they would find out maybe one of them is perpetrating new crimes. And mm -hmm. so then they would kind of put the kibosh on that guy, mm -hmm. and then crime would drop again. And so just a huge chunk of it was, we were going to pay attention to the little things. Mm -hmm. And uh, then the little things, of course, lead to big things. So if we don't have little things, it's not going to lead to big things. And, and I think like the overall crime rate just also shrank by similar numbers. Uh, the number that's easiest for people <coughs> to keep track of is the murder rate. Because you can count a dead body. Yeah, you can't count, like... Theft is yeah. much harder because, like, okay, so my book went missing. Did somebody steal it? Or did I just misplace mm -hmm. it? Who really knows? You know, so there's a lot of crimes that are like that. Like, I, I guess even, like, muggings and assaults and battery and things like that. Somebody could claim they got mugged. Yeah, a lot of them go unreported, too, which they is go, really They go unreported. So. And then in other cases, like, I'm like, that guy, he, he attacked me. Well, it turns out maybe both of us were drinking, and maybe I actually attacked him, but mm -hmm. I'm saying to the police, no, he attacked me. So, I mean, there's there's just a lot of ambiguity, but murder, there's just a lot less because, okay, well, we found the dead person. He's got six bullet holes in him, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. You know, so it was just a lot easier to tell. Mm -hmm. Okay, and you he, know. He does a really good job, and like, kind of like, side note, get, and then we'll get back to the main yeah, thing, but like, yeah. he does a really good job of breaking down crimes by like statistics of like race, um, like ethnic or not ethnic gender, um, like what kind of crimes were reported, what uh -huh. mostly went unreported and reported years later. Okay, and he totally breaks it down. But one of his things, kind of 
bring it back was that there was this generation of parents who I forget the actual like parenting style that they did, but it was very similar to like let it, uh, ferberizing, ferberizing your kid. You know what that is? No. Where it's where you let your kid cry itself to sleep. Oh. And so by, so I mean. Yeah, that does People not still, seem like a good idea to me. Yeah, because you're supposed to. I mean, love I'm not them a and nurture them. And exactly. I'm not either, but just kind of what I've read, and and I've I've had people like disagree with me on this who mm-hmm. are parents. So I guess what do I know? So I'm just going to display my ignorance here. But kind of what I've read and heard is that you really can't spoil a baby, and yeah. so like until they're one years old or so, maybe even a little later, you just simply can't spoil a baby. So mm-hmm. if they're crying, chances are there's a good reason for it. Yep. They're not crying because, oh, I'm eight months old and my mission in life is to become a spoiled brat. That's not the reason. There's there's something genuinely wrong, or mm-hmm. maybe the kid is just lonely. So, so just what I've read is you can't really spoil a baby. Yeah. You know, you could probably spoil a five-year-old, but you can't spoil a baby. Yeah. And and so, you know, it's funny, two things about what you said. The children who more not were parents with that type of style end up not crying anymore. They cry when things are wrong, suppressed, like, oh my god, you had a change, like, why didn't you cry? Super uh-huh. But it's the same thing as, like, well, I, it's like, they just don't respond. They don't cry, they don't laugh, okay. they don't do anything. And then, aside from that, they... A brief interruption. I'm sorry. Part of the audio file was corrupted here. Reed went on to say that if children are shown no love and no affection, it can lead to disastrous psychological consequences. Now, back to the podcast. Those people end up having sociopathic tendencies, which not all people who are soci- have sociopathic tendencies become criminals, but all criminals do have sociopathic tendencies. Okay. And sociopathic tendencies are like obviously like you just don't care about other people you don't care about lack of empathy lack of any kind of remorse for your actions like you you don't really have i want to say sound mind to know what you're doing because you're just you don't you you've never been taught empathy you don't know how to regulate your emotions and so in that book goldman talks about how the kids who don't learn to regulate their emotions before the age of about two or three okay end up growing up not always with sociopathic tendencies, but they end up being way less social and they end up doing worse in life with their careers than wow. kids whose parents taught them to be social and have friends and go oh, out and, yeah. and show your emotions. Yeah. And so with COVID, that's why I'm saying like, I, I really do think within the next 10 to 15 years, there's going to be a giant spike in either crime or people who are just anxious, depressed, or sociopathic. Right. Okay. I, I see where you're going with this. And definitely I would worry about that kind of thing personally, just from the standpoint that, yeah, I, I mean, if look, if you don't have good mental health, what do you have? Exactly. You don't have very much at all. And, and lots of people have worried that we've just done a colossal amount of damage to, well, basically everybody, but especially to young people. Um, If there is one note of optimism I think we can make is that in the Emotional Intelligence book by Goleman, I remember him saying that emotional intelligence is actually something that you can grow, Mm -hmm. which I was really happy to hear. And he was less optimistic about IQ, but Mm -hmm. he was very optimistic about emotional intelligence, which he called EQ, Mm -hmm. uh, that you could take somebody who's really not terribly social and you could actually nurture and grow that person into becoming a very social very empathetic you know very caring person and so you can do that Mm -hmm. and i I think that's great 
That's great news. And then actually on the IQ thing, I've heard a lot of other people who are much more optimistic about IQ. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know, just my understanding from the psych that I've read that in especially like the last 20 years or so, uh, people have really come to believe that your brain is a very flexible thing. It can really grow. Mm -hmm. That if we were to go back to, say, 1950, people would say, no, things are kind of fixed. They're kind of like carved in stone. Uh, we're sorry. Your IQ is such and such. You're not that bright. You're never going to be that bright. Sucks to be you. Yeah. Next case. Next person come in. But now I think what people are saying is, no, EQ is flexible and IQ is flexible. Mm -hmm. so. I, you know, I, I, I think IQ is flexible because I remember in high school and even my first year of college being, I, I struggled a lot. Okay. And then after I started reading, I remember I was able to retain information better. I was able to speak better without mm -hmm. the ums, uhs, uhs, yeah. things. I, I was just able to better... Like, I was able to think faster. Okay. I was able to think more critically. Okay. And read faster and just so many things. So, I mean, it, not just reading, but, like, I think you can grow it. It just does take a lot of work. I think you can grow it. Yeah. I, I guess I'm just optimistic that way. I am. I just feel it. like if people read, write, and discuss with other people, they're going to become much sharper. That's a good point. Yeah. And if they're not, then I have no idea why we have English class or why we have school. Because I thought the whole premise behind those type of things was to make people sharper. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I guess that's kind of my little rant on the whole COVID thing. Okay. But, okay. You know, regardless of anybody's opinions on the, on the matter, like we did some serious damage to our country mentally. Yeah. And I'm well to the world, to the world, except for You're Switzerland, right. which didn't, was it Switzerland that didn't lock down or Sweden? I don't, it was one of them. I one don't of them did lock down. And they actually had the least amount of COVID deaths yeah. out of any country in the world, yeah. which is very weird. But then after yeah. all the, there's, there's a book. Well, this is going to be highly controversial for some people, but, mm -hmm. but l let me just say that I think maybe 20 years from now, we'll probably have some perspective on this whole thing where maybe we can all just sort of chill out a little bit about the whole thing. And I, I realize people are still highly uh, invested in the whole topic and, and who can blame them. It, it obviously touched every single life. Mm -hmm. I, I think that you know, 80 years from now, people will look back on this the same way maybe other people look back on World War II. They will understand that it touched every single person. Mm -hmm. So I, I just, I feel like, gosh, yeah, everybody's been marked by this thing in just a humongous way. And I, I just don't know how we can possibly get around that. You know, but maybe, maybe 20 years from now, we'll, we'll really have like this sense of, well, here's where we did a few things right, and in all these other areas, here's where we made just a whole bunch of mistakes. Yeah, I mean, and it's not like this this course is is non-negotiable. Like we're we're stuck on it forever. Like I agree, there there are some things we can do. I think, I think the first thing is to start, like I mean, not start but continue to socialize people. Yeah, and I I remember so. I was in therapy for a period of time, and I remember my therapist had told me one of the ways to combat depression and anxiety is to do things you may not want to do, but put okay. yourself put yourself in a situation, which is actually how I like got one of the reasons I got very close with some friends who are super close to me now that I was kind of friends with uh -huh. in high school, kind of not, was because they invited me out to do things, and I was like, I really don't want to because I just want to like be alone. Yeah. But I was like, I have to for my own mental health sake. I feel so, like we're gonna have to do that with a ton of people. We're gonna have to yeah. say, hey, come on. Come out of the house. 
You, you know, know what? It's visit. not easy. I don't know if you experienced that, but it's not easy. Well, I, I think I'm a normal person in this respect. Practically everything that I do that is good for me, no matter what it is, whether it's socialized or exercise, I have a hard time getting started mm-hmm. on it. Uh, and as I've gotten older, that startup time has gotten shorter and shorter and shorter. Mm-hmm. But I just really have to kick myself in the pants every single time and say, go exercise, you know it's good for you, or go socialize, you know it's good for you, or pick up the phone, go talk to that person, you know, and and I think from my standpoint, I think I've read that fear of rejection and fear of failure are the two biggest fears for practically everybody. That makes sense. Yeah. You don't want to look, you don't want to look stupid, you don't want to look incompetent, you want to look like you know your stuff. Right. And from, you know, the whole evolutionary psychology standpoint, if human beings really truly were in tribes of say 100 to 200 people, and if that's how people lived for 2 million years, getting kicked out of the tribe meant death. Mm -hmm. Like, how are you going to survive by yourself in the caveman era? You're probably not. And so, like, fear of rejection is huge. People feel like they're going to die, Mm -hmm. you know, if they get rejected. Because back in the day, it actually did mean you probably are going to die. Yeah. You know, if you're isolated. You know, look at Tom Hanks. You know, (laughs) like, he's lucky. Like, in the movie, his character was lucky that he survived. Mm -hmm. You know? So, yeah. And, I mean, I think, I think, yeah, I think that's what's going to have to happen. And, like I said, it's not easy. It's definitely, it definitely took me... I mean, like, I didn't say yeah at first a few times. I was like, no, like, I want to be alone. Like, I want to do my own thing. Like, I want to just wallow in my own self-pity. Right. But I, I, my therapist like, well, you need to do you this. Need like, to, it's called really... exposure therapy. Yep. Yep. It's like when you take the little kid and you say, we're going to teach you how to swim. And we're going to start with the water being six inches deep. Well, I mean, some people, they just toss you out the dock <laughs> where it's like six feet deep. Yeah. That'd be grandpa. Grandpa's going to be like, hey, I'm 94. I didn't have time to fool around. I'm just like going to shove this kid in the water. Just take him out of the shirt and just chuck him in with floaties. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, he's like, in 1896, they did it to me and it worked out fine. (laughs) And you're like, "Mm, don't know if that works as well anymore. (laughs) And he's like, listen, three out of four kids survive. It's worth it. Well, so so this was actually a weird time, too, because... This is this is a topic that's kind of personal. Okay. I, I've I don't really like talking about it, but I feel like it's so like. I mean, we could skip it. No, I, I feel like it's really integral to my story and, okay. and into how I developed as a person and, and what I gained from it. I think I think it's important. And so I started seeing this girl. Okay. In June of 2020, and I, I met her through a mutual friend. And she this was, was a different girl than the other girl. Different right? girl, yes. Got it. Okay. Yes. Okay. And she was she was cool. Is there were there were just some little things that just kind of were red flags. Um, I didn't really want to see them because I was honestly just like I was like I'm I just got out of quarantine. Okay. Like I just want to be around people. She uh-huh. she likes me. She's cool. Whatever. So we're hanging out, and we hang out, and we we're dating from June until October. Okay. And going into that school year, first off, like I said, I was a semester behind, so I'm already kind of depressed about all my friends transferring to new oh, schools and yeah. all my friends going into their junior year, and I'm still in my sophomore year. Okay. And I'm pissed. And that sucked. And my classes were all online, too. Okay. So I pretty much had the same schedule. I'd wake up. 
I would do all my schoolwork in the morning. I'd work out. I'd go to work because my work, my gym was open, which was weird. Okay. And then I would just come home. The gym was open and the college was were closed. Well, so the college was technically open. But, but they're Zooming all your classes. They're Zooming all my classes. And, and I talked to my guidance counselor and I was like, do I even try to do in-person classes? And he goes, they're going to go back online again. And sure enough, like, wow. like November hits and they're like, okay. we're going back on. So I'm kind of glad I did that because I was okay. kind of used to the online thing. Okay. But... My birthday comes, and I'm turning 21. Okay. And I'm, I don't drink. Okay. At that point. And I was like... Yeah, it's like, what can you do when you're 21? Yeah, I was like, yeah. I was like, well, I, I can drink, like, you know, whatever. I, I, it's whatever. I just, I'm not big. But you don't want to. I, I didn't right. want to. I was like, whatever. I, I don't really want to drink. Like, I'm 21. I want to get my concealed carry permit, which I okay. didn't do until, like, two years later. But, you know, okay. better late than never. Um, and uh, that girl... Again, I'm not. I don't want to put her business anywhere, but she ended up breaking up with me on my 21st birthday. Oh, and it timing was, is not so good. Well, yeah, just a little bit. And I, I was pissed because I was like, I remember saying to her, like, you couldn't have waited like a week, uh, th- not even a week. I was a like, day? you couldn't have waited a day. And she's like, no, I couldn't. And I'll and and she did it over the phone, which okay. was even worse because okay. I had I had waited around and put my plans off with my family. And she came over, quote unquote, got sick, left, called me on the way back to wherever she was going and was like, by the way, we need to be done. And I was like, why? She's like, and it, it, she had some things she was going through. Okay. And she was just like, it's just not fair to you to put up with all these things. And I was like, okay, I, I get where you're coming from, but you know, it was really blank that you had to do it on my birthday. And she's like, sorry, hung up the phone. I'm like, okay, bye, like, (laughs) okay, so that happened, and I remember walking in the house, and I grabbed a beer, because I was like, I'm 21 now, I can drink, right, and that was not a good idea, because, yeah, when, when anxious or depressed, or, or whatever, alcohol is usually, I don't know, it's like gasoline on a fire, it's a depressant, yeah, alcohol is a depressant, Hey, fun fact, I think I picked this up from uh, Andrew Huberman, who does Mm. the psychology podcast. Mm -hmm. And I think he kind of pointed out when people are in a really, really great mood and something good has happened, so then they crack the champagne or whatever, it's actually not a smart thing to do. Because if you've just had a big victory, you just signed the big deal, you started dating the great person, so you're feeling very, very, very good. So why would you put a depressant? Yeah, into your body at that point. It. Yeah, so his his whole thing, if <laughs> I'm remembering correctly, is just enjoy the natural high that you're on for mm-hmm. crying out loud. See, that's what I would. That's what I did up until that point, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna have a beer because I'm upset. Yeah, and again, this is a terrible idea. But that's a, that's an interesting okay. part. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, that because I know people who are like, oh, I'm gonna have a beer to celebrate. I'm yeah. like, oh yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And I'm yeah. like. Huh. No, go ride a roller coaster. You're already feeling good. <laughs> Do something else that's going to rev up your adrenaline. Yeah. I think they asked this same guy, Andrew Huberman, the psychologist guy, what's your favorite drug? And he said, adrenaline. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, so that began the most dark period of time in my life. Okay. And I remember I had a friend who is no longer a friend for the same reasons as a friend earlier where he lived in Lawrence, Kansas, obviously, and he invited me up almost every day of the week to drink. 
Okay. And I was thinking, well, I'm 21 now. I can drink. I'm sad. Okay. Let's let's do something that's going to make me forget, which was a horrible decision. And I started drinking. Okay. And I wasn't feeling bad anymore. So I was like, okay, I guess this is how I combat that. Which no wonder this is a popular substance. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this is a good idea. Maybe these guys have it right. And I was stupid for thinking that. So for about, I want to say about a month. Okay. Not, not a long period of time, but okay. I mean, significant enough to where it was a long part of my life. I remember I had not a drinking problem, but I just drank a lot. Okay. And it was just not... I drink a lot. No problem. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, no, nah, no problem. It's fine. It's not that bad. Yeah. It's like, oh. And uh, I remember at that time, I picked up 12 rules for life. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. Okay. I, because Neil, my brother, was, was uh, living with us at the time. And I remember seeing it on his bed and I flipped through it because at the time, I really just did not want to be anywhere anymore you you know right not good like and you're super depressed yes okay and i had realized that the reason i was so upset was not because of the individual situation that happened but because i had neglected to properly heal from things that happened in high school things mm -hmm. that happened with you know the the person in my in my friend who i was really close with and okay all these other things that happened to me with grades in school and in friends. And because I didn't properly heal, everything came to the forefront at once. Okay. And I remember picking up the book and I remember flipping through the chapters and I'm like, how the hell is standing up straight with my shoulders back going to actually help me? This is effing stupid. Yeah. And Neil was like, no, just read it. I promise you, like, it's such a good book. And I don't think anybody knew what I was going through at this time because okay. I was so reserved. Okay. But he let me read it. And I read it in about three days because it was a page burner for sure. Okay. Yeah, it, it is really, really a good book. It's, it's my favorite book. I've okay. read it three times in the past two years. And um, that, at that time, I was like I can't keep living this life that I'm living right now like I if I want to be a lawyer I can't be an alcoholic I can't do these things that are hurting me and I can't keep going down this road of self-destruction so I started with making my bed every morning and I okay. was like I'm gonna focus on making my bed every morning yeah these go to tiny, the tiny victories so to speak exactly tiny victories and so when you start your day off with something as menial as making a bed it actually has a lot because you're organizing yeah. things and then it was working out every day. There was there was this girl that I started working out with at the gym. She started working there the day after my birthday. Okay. And we started like talking because we were really good friends. And I okay. was like, I'm not looking for a relationship at this time. And I don't think she was either. But we were just like, let's just be friends. Let's work out together. And we were like, cool, that's awesome. So we started working out together. I started losing weight and eating better because I had gained, obviously, weight from drinking and everything. Right. Well, alcohol is fattening. Yeah. And it's made out of grain. We, and yeah. that's what we feed cattle in order to, like, fatten them up. I didn't we, even, oh, well, we okay, give them yeah. grain. I guess that's right. You know? I, see, it's these little things <laughs> that, like, I know are true, but I don't really acknowledge until Well, the whole point of drinking is to forget. Yeah. You know? So it's <laughs> like, oh, hey, this would have been useful information, but I was drinking. Yeah. I'm just going <laughs> to... Literally. Um, so... I, I started making my bed. I started going to work out. I started focusing on school. I, I did. I finished the semester well. I started going out more, and 
I remember that year, that, that time period was the most sad, but also the most like, or the most painful, but the most like growth of me making my bed oh, and everything. I mean, because okay. I look back and I'm like, that's when I became who I am now is mm. at that moment because I read the book and I started applying what I read in my, and, and the one that stands out to me the most, if anybody's listening yeah. that wants, who, who knows about Jordan Peterson, you know what I'm about to say, but there's, it's rule number four, which is ch- compare yourself to who you were yesterday and not to who someone else is today. And then rule three, which is treat yourself as if you're somebody responsible for helping. I really love that one. Treat mm-hmm. yourself as though you were a person that you wanted to help. Mm-hmm. And he, he backs up that, if you remember, by saying like something like 95% of people who get medication for their dogs administer it to their animals the first day, if not the second day. Okay. And 86 or something percent of people who get medications for themselves don't administer it to themselves as necessary. Like if they need to take it with breakfast, lunch, and dinner, they don't do it. Wow. And so he's like, why are you treating a dog better than you're treating yourself? Right. Like, yes, your dog has value, but it's like you're not they, – they don't have the value of a human. They don't you know, have a it soul. makes me wonder, do people love their dogs, but they don't love themselves? You know, there's. I mean, clearly yeah, they love their dogs. They do, and but it's a big question: Do people love themselves? Love, love meaning, hey, do I do what's in the best interest of this person? You know, like if you define love that way, like I'm doing what's in the best interest of this other person. Mm-hmm. Well, very frequently, there's. Well, we also have the saying, you know, I am my own worst enemy. Yeah, that's. See, I I feel that on a spiritual level because <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I I had that mindset where I was like if you don't at least have the baseline of like liking yourself, cause there's some people who are like, I don't love myself, man. Like I, I screw up a lot. And then you're like, well, do you at least like yourself? It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I like myself. I'm a cool person. There are people. And at the time myself included who were just like, I don't even like myself. Like, I don't like what I've become. I don't like, yeah. So it's like, if you don't have that baseline of even liking yourself, how are you going to love yourself? Right. It's like, right. It's, it's, and so part of loving yourself is treating yourself like you would treat someone that you were responsible for yeah. helping. And yeah, it's, it's interesting to me because that was the rule that affected me the most because I started giving myself these little rewards for doing these things. Okay. And For example? So, Quick Trip opened back up. Okay. And at the time, I, I don't drink soda anymore as of like two months ago. Okay. But I would reward myself and be like, okay, for every three days that you go in a row of making your bed, working out with your coworker, and talking on the phone with a friend – or a family member who you don't see every day, you get to go to Quick Trip and get yourself a Coke and a or a, slu- a Coke slush and a bag of chips. Nice. And I was like, okay. And then I would I would up the reward and be like, okay, now you get to buy a new book. Now you get to do these things. Uh, and I still kind of do that. I'm like, okay. if I do something good, I reward myself with like a workout. Okay. I reward myself with, you know, and it can be any like ice cream. It doesn't matter as long yeah. as you. Be, it's like, but if you you have to hold yourself to that standard of, okay, I did this. You can't cheat yourself, which is the big thing that I did sometimes and it, it hurt, but I, I bounced back from it. And so I'm, I'm making myself better. And as I'm working out with my coworker, I start to realize that I am like wanting to be around her all the time. And I'm like, she's awesome. Like, she's like me. We just have a stupid sense of humor together. We okay. just talking and laughing all the time when we work out, we talk more than we work out. We, we share headphones that we can listen to music together. And in January, she invited me over to her apartment, and we 
watched a movie and we just talked about how we really felt and that night we started dating and I had told her I was like I was really when we first met like I thought you were beautiful I thought you were amazing to talk to but I was so scared of getting into a relationship because I didn't want to just use you as like you know, just like a yeah. like a rebound, and she's right. like, "I respect that." Right, and I was like, like, "We don't want to use another person." You know, just we talked earlier about how people, when stressed out, will drink too much, or mm-hmm. smoke too much, or eat too much, or spend too much. Well, I mean, you could use another person the same way you use the substance. Yeah, and that's not good. Yeah, it's. I mean, you're 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 using that person to to forget about the past yeah. situation. And it's like I know people who go from relationship to relationship to relationship, like days apart. It's like dude, that's not healthy. You got to take some time to just like feel and then expel as much as you can. Like, and so with, with her, I started to fall in love with her because she was just like the perfect person. She is the perfect person. I'm still dating her. And I, I just, that's when everything in my life started going the way that it is now because that's of, cool. because of Carly. That's and cool. I tell I tell her this all the time, and she like gives me crap about it because she's like, "Yeah, shut up, whatever." <laughs> but she really has been the reason that my life has made a complete one eighty since two years ago, okay. this October, because I I got on an anxiety medication, which helped me to kind of regulate my mood a little bit better. Okay. Um, at the time, I had switched jobs to the same company, but I was working in like the cleaning crew instead of the front desk because of some stuff that happened. I. Just it, it paid better. I just had better hours. Okay. I was like, cool. Better job. And she, yeah, she convinced me to do it. She's like, well, if that's what's best for your mental health, I think that's what you should do. If it's if it's something that you think is going to benefit you, do it. Like, I'll help you interview for it. And she okay, cool. Me. And then a few months later, I had um, a friend of mine who I saw at Lifetime who had just graduated from KU Law in May, and he was studying for his bar, and uh, he had just, or sorry, he had just passed his bar in June, and I remember talking to him. Um, I'm sorry. No, I've got my years mixed up. He had graduated in 2020, and okay. he had, he had passed his bar and just finished an internship and was working at this this law firm in Overland Park. And he's like, "Hey, um, I saw that you are still working at Lifetime. Would you be interested in a file clerk job?" And I was like, "Oh my god, I would love that. I've I've wanted that job since I was a freshman, like being in a real law firm." And Carly sat down with me for like three or four hours okay. and walked me through every kind of question that I could get from an interview. And she wow. was... Okay. How does she know? She, you know, she helped... Recently, she helped me with my resume as well for, for okay. uh, law school. Okay. Because she, she just interviews really well. She's very okay. personable. She's very easy to talk to. She's, she has applied and she got in and applied and just recently graduated from radiologic technology school. Okay. She's um, just got a knack for interviewing. She is. She's just a people person. She's, she's smarter than I am and she's just amazing and so she she helped me mentally physically whatever you want to say prepare for the interview and because of that I was up against people who were in law school excuse me and um my contacts are drawing out I'm sorry that's good um and uh we were in uh I, I was in the interview and I remember the the uh, the, C, the CEO or whatever you want to call it the, the main guy was like, yeah, well, just so you know, like I can't guarantee you this spot because I'm a 21-year-old college kid who's a junior because I had just started Rockhurst. And he's like, well, there's other people who are in law school interning for this, trying to get this because it's just a summer internship job. Okay. 
And I was like, well, if I don't get it, you know, that's fine. But I just want to let you know, if you do hire me, I'll be the most hard worker you'll ever meet. And I will be, I will go in above and beyond my call of duty. And he was like, well, thank you. Yeah, I'll let you know. And we could use some slave labor. Yeah. <laughs> as literally, that's, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't like grabbing coffee for anybody, but uh -huh. I was like, you know. And so I got a call back the next day. And okay. he was like, hey, you got the job. And I'm like, Shh. Okay, well, wow. I was like, congrats. I told, thank you. Yeah, I told told Carly, and then she we went out to dinner to celebrate. Didn't drink, like you said. Yeah, exactly. And I feel good. I think I'll blunt it with a depressant. Yeah, literally. I have not taken a drink of alcohol since that moment okay. when I decided I was going to be done. Okay. When I started reading, because I was drinking the night, and I just you know found the book. But I, I remember starting that job and I was really nervous at first and I didn't do a good job at first but I was able to kind of like get my feet underneath me and I, I had I had previously started at Rockers that spring which okay. was a crazy experience because it was in-person classes for the first time in a year is this fall of 21 this is spring of 21 spring of 21 yeah so okay. I had started at Rockers and I was in person classes I met some new friends that I'm still friends with today they're awesome people and I started that job at the, right after I finished my semester um, excuse me. And at that summer, I had decided I was going to start studying for the LSAT a second time because I'd taken it a first time and didn't do as well as I wanted to. Okay. So that summer, I worked at the law firm, uh, and I studied. And I, I was taking an online class, but I had to get rid of it just because I was like the workload with studying LSAT six, seven, eight hours a night, and then doing work on top of that. Yeah. Until it was just way too much. So I was like, I need a break. I'm gonna okay. treat myself nice. So. That happened, and at the end of the summer, my boss approached me and was like, hey, like, you know, we really appreciate everything you've done around here, because originally I was just filing papers. Okay. He's like, you, I, I started to, like, do case summaries, which is just, like, talking about a case. It's like briefing a case. It's okay. the same thing. Okay. Uh, I did memos. I was doing deposition summaries, where you read a deposition and you say what is, you summarize what happens within, like, a certain time frame. How long is the deposition? Average depositions can run from 60 pages, oh. which is 25 lines a page. So okay. it's not as bad as you think. Like yeah. 60 pages is like really 10. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's long. That's a good 15,000 words, you know? I, and I, so you're probably yeah. summarizing these things down to like a page or something like that for people. So it, it depends on the deposition because some depositions, I just finished one like two weeks ago that okay. was like 280 pages. Whoa. And it took me 32 pages to, do, okay. to summarize it. Well, Other well, ones that are like 50 pages, those can be fit in like one or two pages. Got They're it. not that bad. Got it. Okay. But, I didn't mean to derail off of oh, that. Oh, no, you're, you're Let's fine. Let's go back to the yeah, main it's, thrust. It's, uh, so then I started, and he was like, I want to offer you the position like through the fall. Okay. And I was like, that's awesome. I'd love that because it paid way more than the job I had at the gym. Yeah. And so I was like, yeah, I'd love that. So I, I started working in the mornings from like, 7 to 11 and then I had class from 1130 because I if you get on 435 it's like a 15 minute drive to Rockers okay from where the law firm is so I was like if I work 7 to 11 that's four hours of work Monday through Thursday before class I have a class from like 11 to 330 there's like a two hour gap between classes I'll study for my LSAT there so I'm pretty much go 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 7 a.m to 4 p.m 5 p.m every single night which Looking back, I don't know how I did it. <laughs> yeah, but no kidding. It was one of those things. But I, I always said Carly. Carly was always there for me, and, and she really 
went out of her way to like if I was struggling with something or if I just needed to talk to someone, she would really be there for me. Okay. And it was at this time where over the summer, um, right when this happened, there was the friend of mine who always invited me out to drink, um, had a conversation with me, and he was mad that I had decided to stop drinking and okay. I had decided to get my life back on track. And I remember, you know, if, if everybody who's listened to the other ones of me before knows, like, Jordan Peterson's my guy. Yeah. And I remember reading something of his where he said, if people are not doing what's best for you, stop talking to them. And that's all he said. Right. And that, that was powerful for me because it's like, that's all he said. Interpret that how you want. And I'm like, you know what? Like, if you're not doing what's best for me, like, I'm not selfish, like... You always have to do what I want to do. Right. If you're actively, if I'm telling you, like, I've, I was open with him about what was going on, and he didn't care. He just wanted me to drink, and he's like, drink it, forget about it. Yeah. And I was like, I don't want to do that. And he's like, well, that's good. That's what's going to help. And he pushed for it. And, and so we kind of hung out over the summer, okay. kind of didn't. And uh-huh. he just saw it differently than I did, I guess. And I just told him, I was like, he said some pretty nasty things and I just, I just didn't really want to reciprocate. And I was like, you know what, man, I'm just going to cut it off right here. Like, I'll be nice to you if I see you, but don't call me. Don't text me. I can't. We're we're done. We're done. Okay. And he was like pissed, but I was like, I got law school I'm applying for. I can't have alcohol holding you back. Yeah. And it wasn't just alcohol. Like he was trying to get me to like, like before I started dating Carly, he was like, why don't you go out and like, do some things like drugs, like hookups. And I'm like, that's just not me, man. Like, I'm glad I didn't do any yeah. of these things, but I, I unfortunately succumbed to the alcohol stuff. And I just remember talking to Carly about it, and I was like, why am I feeling crappy about this? And she's like, well, well because, because you're a loyal friend. Yeah, that's what she said. She's like, you just, you were there for him, and when he wasn't there for you, you took it personally because that's that's right. something that you would Well, that's, do. that's what people do. Mm-hmm. Jordan Peterson also said, this one will really, really reverberate with you, that if you want to make a highly conscientious person feel guilty, it's one of the easiest things in the world to do. Interesting. You know, so like if you, in other words, if you got good conscientiousness, you're responsible, you have good morals, you care about other people, those are the easiest people to make feel guilty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, like, they they go out of their way to... Yeah, you're to already going out of your way all the time yeah. for other people. And so then if you feel like, hey, I let somebody else down, you know, you're just going to be very, very hard on yourself. Mm-hmm. You know? I but mean, what's the opposite? The opposite is a sociopath. They have no <laughs> conscientiousness. Do they feel guilty when they let somebody down? Nope. Well, they only feel bad if they could have ripped them off more but yeah. failed to do so. And it's a, feel, it's a feeling of feeling bad for themselves. It's yes. not like... Like you just said, like ripping like, them off. It's like, yeah, oh, yeah I should have ripped get that enough. guy off more. Yep. What's wrong with what an me? Idiot. I could That's totally what they're thinking. Done. Literally, you know? I'm reading a book right now called The Idiot by Dostoevsky. How how is that? I, I want love to read it. that. I've read a bunch of other Dostoevsky and really love. So I started Demons, the Possessed Devils, whatever yeah, the translation yeah, is, and yeah. I thought it was okay. And I okay. stopped reading it. And I and I, I was with Carly a few weeks ago, and I picked up a copy of The Idiot because I've always wanted to read it. That's the okay. last one I haven't really read. Okay. And besides demons, I guess. And I started reading it, and I was like, well, what's the point of the novel? Because each each novel talks about different things. Yeah. And what I got from the novel, I'm, I'm about halfway through it right now, but okay. the, the, the Prince Lev Nikolaevich Mishkin is, okay. is the prince, is what he's referred to. And 
He's called the idiot by every. You know the book. You've read I it? have not read it. Okay, I'll just. Here's I'll what I've read. I've read Karmasov. I've read um, Crime and Punishments. Mm-hmm. I've read uh, The Gambler. Those are the three that I've read. I recommend Notes from Underground. Yeah, I know I should read that. The Idiot. And I know I should read The Idiot, mm-hmm. and I know I should read The Possessed, and then I should backtrack and read the early works of Dostoevsky, mm-hmm. which are things like The Devil and Poor Folk and The Eternal Husband. I know I should be reading all mm-hmm. these things. I've heard the early ones are arguably Are better. good, mm-hmm. are good. Yeah, they made him famous <laughs> and all of that. His five greatest ones were after his time in Siberia. Yeah. So I think that's why they have those dark undertones. Yes. Um, but... Yeah, this is a guy who was kind of successful and did really, really well for himself and then ran afoul of the dictatorship that he happened to live in. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then they send him off to like some frozen labor camp type situation in Siberia. He breaks down. I think he develops epilepsy. Mm-hmm. It's like a major damage to his health. And then somehow they let him loose, I think roughly at about the age of 45, somewhere mm-hmm. in that ballpark. And then after that, absolutely everything this guy writes is just a world-class masterpiece. I think it really was like Notes from Underground, Devils, The Possessed Demons, which is one book. It's just different like translations. The Idiot. And Crime Crime and Punishment, Punishment, The Idiot, and then Brothers Karamazov was his final novel, which still... That book ruined fiction for me. I've said that. (laughs) It was so good. Anytime I pick up like... any other, I'll say fiction that's not Dostoevsky fiction, because I like okay. it. It's a good book, but yeah. it, it ruined fiction for me because I tried to right. read a different fiction book by Dickens, and I was like, this sucks. I, I okay. can't. But Thanks, Dostoevsky. Thank you, yeah. but, you know. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, you should have read him when you were <clears throat> 70. Like, yeah. you had gone through, like, all the other fiction. I remember being like, man, because at the time I had only read Crime and Punishment and Notes from Underground, and I was like, I should have read his other ones before I started reading Brothers right. for Amazon. Right, right, right. Well, yeah, it's like when they make a bad movie out of a really good book. Yeah. It's kind of like, oh, see the movie first. You yep. know, because the book can only be an improvement. Exactly, because it's open to your interpretation. Yeah. Okay, and so let's kind of go back to this uh, this scenario with, with the guy. Well, so the prince is... No, 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 no. I mean, not that. Not oh. the idiot. Well, yeah, let's do the idiot. Well, Finish well, your thought on the idiot, then we'll go back to your story. The, it kind of connects with it. Yeah, so yeah. So the prince often gets taken advantage of. Okay. But people, th- and people start calling him the idiot. He's the idiot of the novel. Okay. And people are like, like Prince, you get taken advantage of. Like, why are you doing this? Like, why are you like that willfully blind? And he's like, it's not willfully blind. Like, I know what I'm doing. People just think I'm stupid. Like, there's a story where he's like, you know, he's wearing like this tin necklace okay. of a cross. And, and this guy's like, why are you wearing that crappy necklace? And he's like, well, I was walking here and there was this homeless guy who was selling necklaces and he, he thought he got a fast one on me and he, I, I sold him it for 25 bucks. And he, he thought I was an idiot, but, like, I knew I was just doing him a favor because he needed the money. And it's, like, people will take advantage of people when they know they can be taken advantage of. Yeah. And so with that guy, back to it, I was, like, recently I'm, like, that's what he was doing to me. He was taking advantage of me. Mm-hmm. And I'm, like, what was he getting out of seeing me crumble? Okay. And I, I feel like he's justifying his own existence. Ex- same, you know? Exactly. Same thing as the first guy. It was, it was I am miserable. I am down here and I can see that you want to go up here to level 10 and I'm at level 5 I'm going to keep you at level 5 for as long as I can because misery enjoys company that's right and I'm like okay so I stopped hanging with him so I go into the fall of my uh, technically my junior year but should have been my senior year and I'm you know going to my classes and that's when I started writing my book yep and that's that's kind of right after that I started writing um 
so I started taking this class called juvenile delinquency, and it was from one of my minors. It's criminal okay. justice. Okay. And uh, the, the teacher who taught it was a former juvenile delinquent attorney from Texas. Great okay. dude. Great dude. And he, again, like, I'm in a class with people who, like, have known each other since 2018. Okay. And I'm there, like, this one dude who nobody knows. Like, okay. I, I knew some people from the previous semester, but I was like, okay, like, let me just like kind of feel this out so like the third day of class um he comes up to me and is like hey um because i had introduced myself on the first day i was like hey like thanks for being so nice to me and he's okay like, hey, of course and he was like yeah so every semester in the spring the university does what's called the midwest innocence project okay and yeah I think, I think i know a little bit about this but keep going yeah, it was started by OJ's attorney, actually. Oh. And, which I know, ironic, but... Whoa. So, the point of the Innocence Project is... <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Of all, of all people to... OJ's like, whatever little money I have left, I just want to start a charity for people who are truly innocent. Literally. Like me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, that's a whole nother podcast in and of itself. Is we'll, we'll leave OJ, OJ by the side of the road. And uh, That juice has been squeezed, The man. juice is loose again. Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, so I, uh, I he, he goes, yeah, like 10, st 10 students are hand-selected and I want to select you because I know you want to go to law school. It looks great on law school. I'm like, dude, thank you. Like, I'm one of 10 kids that get to do this. That's awesome. And yeah, Congrats I, on that. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I was like, I don't know what I did to deserve this. He's like, well, you introduced yourself the first day. Like, I looked at your, your track record, and I got all A's the last semester before okay. that. And he's like, well, your, okay. your grades are great. Yeah. Um, you look like, you know, you're a nice kid. You're ambitious. You know what you want for life. Like, I was like you. Let me do this favor for you. And I'm like, dude, this means the world to me. So. And he's like, I know. Yeah, he's like, yeah, he literally was like, <laughs> I know. It's a good opportunity. I'm like, thanks, man. So that happened. And the whole time, like, I just remember being so excited but also anxious like leading up to that because I, I didn't know what it was I had no idea there were students who were my age who like had gotten in as juniors because they the, the school does a thing where they pick like three or four juniors so that they can be leaders when they're seniors okay. and then they just keep doing it so there's always like a core group of students to lead everybody to kind of tell them what I to see. do okay um and so I obviously wasn't one of those kids but I I remember we started the project the first second week of January when we came back. And I remember the gravity of the situation hit me for the first time because it wasn't just a hypothetical situation. This was a real person mm. who was applying to Midwest Innocence Project, proclaiming his innocence for okay. a crime that he says he didn't commit. I can't talk about it okay. because it's technically not adjudicated yet. Okay. So... Yeah, so don't talk about it. Yeah. That okay. pretty much... But the experience was amazing because I actually got to like see a picture of the guy... I actually got to like look into the, the the not like the crime scene photos, but the um, just like the trial transcripts. I got to read those. I got to like get really good experience with that. I got to like brief the case. I got to wow, like do all this research. And, it's like, like everything. It, it literally it was like working as a defense attorney, and I was like, this is amazing experience. And I I remember, I I guess I can talk about this a little bit. I there was there was a part of it. That I, because I had taken two forensics classes, the fall and then that same spring semester, and that was a super cool class because I was like, this is like death scene investigation. That's cool. So I was able to use 
a lot of that information and put it towards this class and like was able to show that this guy did not commit the crime. That's that he so said cool. To committed because there was a timing issue okay. with a bunch of different stuff. And I was like, I remember like tearing up at first because I'm like, there's no way I just figured this out. Like if that's true, yeah. which it did end up being true, Wow, it placed him totally different in a totally different area from okay. where the crime took place. So you were the guy who actually figured that out. Yeah. And I mean, wow. other people figured other stuff out too, which was also like a tremendous help. And so we presented it at the end of the semester and it was, we, we are supposed to get a score back pretty soon about like, like one to five, like five being like, this needs to be taken care of now. One being like, we're not going to do it. Okay. Um, I'm hoping that the information that we presented eventually gets to them and they're like, okay, yeah, this needs to be like redone. Cause there were so many discrepancies yeah. in the trial. There were so many like mishandlings. There was like a motion that was denied that should have been granted. And it was just, it was a whole thing. Just, just a mess of a trial. It was a mess. Yeah. It was a whole mess. And it's like this, this needed to be relooked at. And so I'm okay. glad that I was able to do that. And then I, I just remember the last day of school I was really upset because I, apart from all of my friends, was not graduating. Okay. I was supposed to graduate. Okay. And I remember talking to Carly about it, and I was just like, I'm kind of upset because all my friends are like starting their lives. You're graduating too. You're starting your life as like an, an MRI tech. And it was just like a really rough time because I remember everybody's like, you know, yeah. doing all these things, and I'm just still getting ready to start yeah. college again. And I remember she was like, well, you know, like everybody goes at their own pace. That's what you got to remember. And I was like, okay, it's fair. And I remember I was sitting in class on the last day. And, and after the presentation had been done, our teacher um, was like, so where are you guys all going? Because most of okay. us were seniors. Okay. And a couple of them were like, oh, I'm going to this law school. I'm going to this law school. I'm, I'm getting a job in Kansas City as a CSI. I'm doing all these things. There were like three dudes who... I looked up to in the sense that like they were extremely smart, extremely well read. They mm -hmm. were applying to like top law schools and okay. they were they were all just like, yeah, I didn't get into law school this year. I have to take a gap year. And I'm like that, not that I'm happy for their failure, but it just kind of made me feel better because yeah. I'm like, everybody goes at their own pace. Yeah. Everybody like goes at their own pace. Yeah. You know, something that, that, okay, you first mentioned this, that, hey, you felt like you're behind, but there's a friend of mine that I just immediately thought of. And uh, gosh, when did she graduate from high school? I'm not quite sure. But she was the first person in her family to go out to college. Hmm. And she really had this plan of graduating in four years. And, you know, she was paying for the whole thing herself. She had scholarships. She was working her way through. Uh, gosh, I think her dad might have been a high school graduate. Her mom was not. Her older brother was not. Hmm. Her sister was not. So, I mean, she and her dad were the only two people in the family who graduated from high school. And now she was going to go out to college. And so she had this ambition that it was going to be four years. Mm -hmm. And then it wound up being four and a half. Yeah. And she was so embarrassed and so humiliated and just so devastated. And I was so proud of her mm -hmm. the whole time. I was just like so excited for her. And, and, you know, really the difference between, say, four versus four and a half versus five years it's just a big so what. Yeah, it's peanuts you know? compared to... I mean, I realize you're 22, else. and so it, it, it just might be a little ridiculous for me to say this, but when you're 25, nobody's going to know 
or remember or care. Mm -hmm. They're just going to be looking at the quality of the 25-year-old you are. Gosh, my mentor in college, uh, this woman was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. You know, she had a PhD. Hmm. It took her 12 years to get her undergraduate degree because... I mean, I mean, she if she's still alive, I hope she is, she would be 87 years old. Mm. But back in the day when she went to college, she had to work. She had other obstacles. She had people she needed to take care of. So as a result, I think she took one or two classes per semester for 12 years Jeez. to rack up that bachelor's degree. I mean, she degree. got it, though. She got it. And then when I knew her, she was 52 to 56 years old when I was in college. If she wouldn't have told anybody, nobody would have known. Hmm. Absolutely nobody would have known, and they wouldn't have cared. They just would have thought this woman is brilliant. Mm -hmm. She is a top-notch instructor. She's my favorite instructor. That's what a lot of people said. She was a lot of people's favorite college instructor. Mm -hmm. And see, that's that's my thing. Even now, I've been like kind of down because it's like I'm in class. Yeah. I don't want to be in school anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Like I want to go to law school. I want to do it. But then I. Again, I was talking to Carly the other day, and she's like, well, weren't you going to take a gap year anyway to, like, uh-huh. like work on, like, your resume and work uh-huh. and everything? I'm like, yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, it's just it's kind of like a bummer. And so, yeah, you look, know, I, it, you it, look, it happens. Yeah, just just feel bummed out. Yeah, and it's, it's okay to feel that way. I've learned, and, like, recently... I found the quickest way to get over being anxious or sad or angry is to actually feel the emotion fully. That's, yep. I mean, I say that in a serious way, but there was a comedian, I think, in the mid-20th century, Mae West, who said, uh, I find the best way to get over temptation is to give in. Yeah. <laughs> give in to it. Yeah. I mean... So, but I'm thinking with emotion, say that's actually kind of true. Yeah, they you know? say that. After, like a, like, a death in the family, you just, like, for a week... Just like because there's, yep. so I was I took a class last semester about like the about like Jewish studies. Okay, and it was like one of the reasons that like Jewish people, um, their their funeral processes are the same thing where it's okay. like you you grieve for okay. like a month and then you like don't do certain things for like a week after and so you don't go out you don't do these things and it's like it's actually a very healthy process yes. of like getting yourself back into yes. society and like. Because you, because for a week after the burial, you can't go anywhere. You can't eat certain okay. foods. You stay home. You you mourn. You're supposed to mourn. Yep. Well, and what's great about that is it's <clears throat> a definite period. In a similar way, one time I went on a retreat, like a Catholic retreat, and this was I think in the '90s or so, and they were talking about grief, and they said, "Gosh, if you look at the United States back in the '20s, we probably had a method for grieving for people." For example, people, if somebody in your family passed away, you would wear a black armband, and people might wear it for a year. Mm -hmm. And then people would say, well, why is that guy, like, how come he never smiles? And they would say, well, look at the black armband. Uh, Somebody in his family must have passed away, and he's just going to be sad. And so the thing is, though, I think a year was kind of the upper limit. And then after that, you were supposed to take the black armband off. Mm. And the idea basically was, is that, okay, now in the 90s is what they were saying, and I think it's still true today, we don't have a method or a formula for people to grieve. And I'm not saying everybody should follow a method or a formula, that's not what I'm saying, but if you have one, you can reject it, and you can do your own thing, Mm -hmm. but at least you have one. And so their idea was, is yeah, there's a time to grieve. Mm-hmm. And uh, and people should be allowed to grieve. Mm-hmm. And then the spectators should be able to respect the fact that you're grieving. But at the same token, after a certain point, 
you know, that person who passed away is probably not one, going to want you to grieve for 50 years. Yeah. They're probably going to want you to grieve for a little while, mm-hmm. but not for eternity. And that's why you're supposed to stop mm-hmm. at a certain point. And, and, okay, people could disagree with what I'm saying, but that made perfect sense to me. And I thought that's very healthy. You know, I've, I've also kind of read, I've read a lot of psychology lately. Same. Yeah. And, uh, and kind of what I found is some psychologists will say that sadness is the only emotion that goes all the way down. Interesting. Well, happiness is temporary. Uh, anger, at its root, there's really sadness. Because mm-hmm. anger is frustration. Mm-hmm. And frustration is when you want something, but you don't have it. So there's a gap. There's a gap between what you have and what you want. So that's what frustration is, and that's what anger is. And so Winston Churchill used to say anger is just, um, what is it? It's, uh, no, depression is anger without enthusiasm. Yeah. That's what he said. Depression is anger without enthusiasm. That's not a bad point. <laughs> and it's kind of true. So, I mean, they were kind of saying, like, all of the major emotions, like uh, anger, disgust, hurt, shame, all of these things kind of have their limits. Sadness is the only one that goes all the way down. Interesting. Well, and okay, I'm just going to tell you a little story because this really stuck with me. So 30 years ago, I was teaching at Marquette University. And uh, when I was teaching there, uh, we were having all the students write papers. College students were writing papers on something they wanted to investigate. Well, this one 18-year-old student named Patty wanted to investigate, do boys even cry? You know, because she was 18, and from her standpoint, no, boys don't cry. She'd never seen one cry, so she wanted to know, well, maybe they do it in secret. Yeah. You know, and so she wanted to write a paper called Do Boys Cry? So she went out there, and she surveyed a bunch of guys. And then afterward, I always kind of wanted people to do something extra to make the paper extra special. Mm -hmm. So I said, well, why don't you just, for comparison purposes, put down how much do you cry, Patty? Because Patty was like the most happy, bubbly, effervescent, joy-filled person that I think I've ever met in my life. Hmm. She was like a puppy on sugar. You know, she was so hyper all the time. Well, it turned out that she cried every single day at 4 o'clock. And whenever I've told that to people, half the people are like, she is a freak. Why is she crying every day at 4 o'clock? Well, do you think that's why she's so happy? Yes, because I think, okay, if you read a little bit of Carl Jung, the psychologist that Jordan Peterson cites all the time, Mm -hmm. Jung is going to say that everything has Mm -hmm. to kind of balance out. Mm -hmm. You know, if somebody gives off a lot of light, well, they give off an equal amount of shadow. And yes, so, his I've read his works about the shadow. Yeah. It's it's incredible. You know what? So that's what I Patty's do, doing. I do remember reading something about that's a really good story. I like that yeah. a lot. So that's what Patty's doing. So hmm. all the people thought she was a freak. No, Patty was going home and I'd say, Well, what do you stress about? Like why do you cry? And she'd say, Well, I I cry from roughly four until ten after four because that's all it takes to get it out of my system. And she said, just the stress of the day. And I said, okay, so like any stress of the day? And she said, yeah, major, minor. She said, it's just a habit. Mm -hmm. I just cry every day. Well, I think it allowed her to be so ridiculously happy. I I really do. I really do. Yeah, I'm too German to cry. I just, I wish I cried more often, but Mm -hmm. every time I cry, I get about one tear out and then I get so excited and happy that I'm crying. It comes to an end. You're like, "Uh I'm like the world's worst crier. Yeah, yeah, but I think I think it'd make me tougher and stronger if I just cried. It's like it's kind of like that idea where it's like you're weak if you can't cry. Yeah, it's kind of the same yeah. thing. It's like you're, yeah. I mean, not weak in the sense that like you're you're like emotionally weak, but like you can't regulate your emotions properly. Yeah, like I've also been reading a lot of psychology about okay. emotions and stuff. Okay, and so like I to- that, okay. that's like 
hit it right on the head with everything I've been reading too. It's yep. it was super okay. interesting topic. Yeah. But yeah, and then so once I finished the Innocence Project this summer, um, I guess I forgot to mention, but after the fall of 21, my boss came to me and, and offered me the job permanently. Oh, So cool. I had been working at that job since a little over a year and a half now, okay. which is awesome. I love the job. And I, I'm growing and I'm learning new things every day and it's it's awesome. And so this summer, I just, it's, it was kind of a slower summer. I, I, I uh, had two classes, two different parts of the summer that I was working on. I did well in both of them. Um, I was getting my law school resume stuff ready, um, just like my personal statement, my letters of recommendation, my transcripts all pro- processed, my um, my resume, like I said, if I didn't say that already, that was a big one. Um, and that was a stressful process because <laughs> just two weeks ago, I got an email from one of the law schools I was planning on applying to, and I was like, because I was told October 1st okay. was when applications open, and so... I don't know how familiar you are with like the idea of like rolling admissions uh, at schools. No, I'm not. So I it, mean, I know they exist. I don't exactly know how it works. So it's kind of like a first come first serve basis. So the early okay. you apply, the greater chance you have of getting in. And okay. with me, I have a a little bit above average LSAT score. Where I have a really good GPA. Okay. And so I'm like, okay, well, I have a lower GPA than the schools I want to go to, but I have like a like a really good GPA. Okay. So I'm like, maybe if I apply really early, I'll have a better chance. And sure enough, I was told, yes, I'll have a better chance. So I get this email that's like, yes, yeah, September 1st. Okay. And I'm freaking out because I'm like, my personal statement's not entirely edited. My my resume's not entirely done. Like my personal statements aren't, or my, my letters of rec aren't all the way in. And so I'm like, crap, I got to go. So that night... I went back to my parents' house, and my mom sat with me for like four hours because she was an English teacher, and okay. we, we edited it and redid it like four times, and it's amazing now. Go mom. That's Literally. awesome. Go thanks, English thanks, teacher. Yeah, go English teacher mom, yeah. <laughs> and then Carly helped me finish uh, the resume. Okay. And she she helped me do that, and then I actually had um, another friend who is going to be a second year at UMKC Law, and that's, that's my top school. I really want to go to UMKC Law. Okay. And he was... Saying he was helping me a lot, so I, I took him to lunch the other day just to thank him for all the help he's done with me too. And I was just like talking to him about everything and just that whole process. And he's like, "Dude, you gotta calm down. It's not that bad." I'm like, "Yeah, but it's it's like the rest of my life. It's the future." And he's like, "Yeah, but you're you'll be fine. You'll you'll be fine. It, just trust the process. Submit your stuff. Forget about it. If you get a call back for an interview, great. If you don't, great. It doesn't matter. It's fine." So that's kind of where I'm at now. Okay. I'm kind of just getting, I have, it's the 24th. I have literally a week after today and then I submit my applications. And so once that's done, I should hear back hopefully by the end of the year or around my birthday on October 10th. Okay. So. Okay. So I need to like give you a call or something on (laughs) October the 10th and kind of find out what happened. Maybe. uh, But, you know, hey, listen, I was just thinking I have another friend, and her name is Laura Lynn. Um, Mm -hmm. Well, maybe I should change her name to Cora Caitlin for this podcast or something, but uh, she applied for graduate school and didn't get in the first year Mm -hmm. and then kind of had to do the whole gap year thing. And then when she did get in, she just did A-plus, stellar performance, just fantastic job. Uh, they paid for the whole thing, et cetera. And, uh, you know, since then, she's gone on to do some very, very great things. 
I, I just think that, you know, sometimes people take that gap year. You know, it's, I just don't know if it's the world's worst thing. You know, it, but I, I bet I, you get in, to be entirely honest. I, I hope so. I, I think... You keep saying you're behind your peers. I'm thinking, gosh, all the books that you've read... Yeah, I, I don't, this is my, my 20th this year, and then okay. I'm, reading, I'm reading The Idiot, so... Well, and it's been know. my experience that people don't do that. You know, even like law students. I, I have a friend who's slightly older than me, and he just bragged about how much he didn't read. Really? And I was like, why are you bragging not about brag. that? Like, why? I just, yeah, I couldn't understand it. I, you know, he wanted to write a book and then go on talk shows and then brag that, actually, I have no influence. It's because I read nothing. That's weird. I'm, I, again, I don't it know why you brag about not no, reading. No, I just, I, no, just, no. I like telling people, I'm like, yeah, I read a lot. You know, it's like... Like I, t- I was talking to somebody the other day about a, uh, the Pareto distributions because yeah. they were they were arguing something about capitalism or something okay. stupid, and I was like, well, you know, sorry, like your argument's just based on the nat. Do you know what Pareto distribution? Yeah, yeah, is? yeah. It's the whole eighty twenty principle. Yeah. You know, like I wear twenty percent of my clothing eighty percent of the time. Yep. Twenty uh, percent of my friends give me eighty percent of my happiness. Yep. It's called the the rule of the vital few. Yep. You yep. know, and so and it happens all the time. Twenty percent of the workers do eighty percent of the work, mm-hmm. uh, and sometimes the results <clears throat> are skewed even farther. It could be five to ninety five. Yeah. Like five percent of the people do ninety five percent of the work in some companies. And it's not like it's just limited to capitalism. It's like a universal thing. Like right. Like 20% of the stars have almost 80% of the mass. Interesting. Like all, almost like all, like a small group of cities have all the people. A oh, small yeah. group of companies have the most money. Well, I'll give you another one. Practically all crimes are committed by a very tiny group of people. Yep. There's people out there who haven't committed a single crime and they live to be 104. Yep. Then there's other people who have committed 104 crimes just this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's same thing. Yeah. yeah. It, and then I saw this one recently where it's like, Women, for the most part, are smarter than men, uh-huh. but because of the Pareto distribution, uh-huh. more often than not, it's a small group of men are the mo- ha- are are like the geniuses of society. That's right, because they That's operate right. on both sides of the bell curve. That's right. So, like, so well, there's more guys who are, I guess, uh, with very very low IQs, mm-hmm. and then more guys with very very high IQs. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and and it's it's weird because it's like people argue that and it's like, no, sorry, you're you're uh-huh. arguing against a natural law. Like, right. Your argument. Right. I know. Personally, I've had a hard time with gravity and electromagnetism. <laughs> I just don't see why we have to have these things. <laughs> yeah. And you start to argue. You're like, what the right. Hell? Right. And, uh, well, people argue with human nature all the time. They don't like that either. You know, like sometimes that. people are greedy and I'm like, well, yeah, I, okay, look, if you've got a thousand people, there's going to be a certain percentage that are going to be all of these things that we don't like. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so... Faster people figure that out, yeah. The faster I think things would be better, and people That's would stop right. arguing stupid things. That's right. Um, but yeah, I just I I've been reading a lot about that. I've been you know focusing on that kind of stuff. I kind of forgot why I brought up burritos. distributions. Okay, okay. <laughs> it'll come back to you. Yeah, it'll, it'll come it'll, back to you. Hopefully. You know, the quickest way to have it come back to you is to tell yourself that you're never ever ever going to remember I'm it. Going to remember. Then it your then. subconscious will. Um, hey, let's uh, let's uh, give us ourselves maybe another ten minutes, and then let's wrap this up. Perfect. Uh, here's what I'd really like to shift into is uh, lessons learned. So, because because you mentioned that you know big mm-hmm. lessons that you've learned, and I, I just would really like to see where you're going to go with this. I'm trying, I'm trying to think because there's a lot. Frankly, I think that. 
I can separate them into each year I learned something, okay. each school year I learned something. Okay. So my freshman year, it was to realize that not everybody around you is for you, and it's not that they're against you, they're just for themselves. Hmm. And I think that's what a lot of people have, this is this, this victim mentality of like, well, they screwed me over, so like they must hate me. It's like, why would you attribute malice, Occam's razor, why would you attribute malice when you can attribute ignorance? I attribute, they're not against me, they're just for themselves more. Gotcha. And in that process, they're willing to step on anyone, do whatever they want to get mm. what they want. Okay. So that's probably the, that one. And then I'd say, excuse me, my, my sophomore year, which was the first couple months of COVID, was just how important it is to have people around you who oh, are yeah. so loving. In your corner. Exactly, yeah, yeah, in your corner, loving and caring and like social, not just social, but like just people who are gonna like always advocate for your best qualities and they're gonna always advocate for you to take the best even if it's the hardest route for your success. I like and you're gonna that. do the same to them. I like that. And That's I, really good. Thank you. Yeah, That's I, what Aristotle would call a virtuous friend. There's three kinds of friends according to Aristotle. There's your virtuous friend. This person tries to make you into a better person. Mm -hmm. And maybe you're trying to make them into a better person. It could apply to a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. Then the second kind is your fun friend. That's the person that you, I don't know, go play tennis with, play volleyball with, you know, those type of things. Uh, and then finally, there's your work friend. Mm -hmm. And I think Aristotle put them in that order, mm. you know. And so that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think maybe he thought <coughs> fun brought people more lasting pleasure in certain respects than work. Yeah. I'm not quite sure. Work friend also gets called a utilitarian friend. And so like you're kind of using the other person like, oh, we work well together, you know, but the minute the job stops, the friendship stops. Mm -hmm. But that's not necessarily true of your fun friend. Like you could play tennis with that guy <laughs> until your knees give out when you're 86. Mm hmm. So, trying to trying to think because my my technical junior year of twenty into twenty one uh -huh. was two sides of a coin. So I I want to say what I learned that year was just how important it is to take care of yourself. Yeah, and you have to put yourself first and your mental health first, and you always have to. If no one else is going to be there for you, then you have to be the one to be there for yourself. You have to do it. Yeah, and it's like... And for all the people who think that's selfish, the thing is, is that if you... Well, it's kind of a cliche. You can't give away what you don't have. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And, and I guess the other side of that coin is just realizing that there are people in your life, besides just friends, but like Carly, who went out of her way to do everything she could for me in so many different ways. And like, again, like I tell her this all the time, she's made my life significantly better. I've had so many opportunities because of her mm. and her help. And so I think that's that too, is just like be open to like meeting new people because if I wasn't be open to meeting new people, like I would have never met Carly. And I guess for my, my, my final year and even I guess into this semester, just... I mean, if you, if you want to, I want to phrase this correctly, but I feel like if you really want to achieve what you want to achieve, you have to be willing to sacrifice something of value in the present moment hmm. for something of greater value in the future. Because I re only recently have started hanging out with my friends again from quarantine. 
and I told him, I was like, guys, like I miss you guys. Like I, I was, I've just been so busy with LSAT school, Midwest Innocence Project. Like I, I missed hanging with you guys. And they're like, yeah, I yeah. miss hanging with you too, man. And I'm yeah. like, and I was like, but at the same time, I'm not like mad at myself for doing what I had to do because I'm in the position now to where like I have a, a better than not chance to hopefully be admitted to law school. So I'm, I'm not upset about that, but it's like just understanding that there's sacrifices that may have to be made and then having the courage to make those sacrifices because there was, again, not just Carly, but there's other people who also helped me to know that like these sacrifices aren't in vain. They're okay. good things. And that's pretty much it. I think yeah, it's I've learned a lot, but those are kind of like my four rules, reads rules <laughs> or something, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Hey, that's the that. next book, man. TM. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll trademark it. Uh, Reed, this has just been absolutely fantastic, kind of a wild ride, and just really, really great to hear about. Um, and um, gosh, I, I always kind of like that end with a question directed toward the future. Um, but but I kind of feel like I know where you want to go. I, yeah. I feel like you want to go into law school. And uh, uh, so let me just end with a completely different style of question. Um, a little bit of a preface on this. I realized at a certain point, maybe 10 years ago or so, that I really don't know how to relax, you yeah. know? And um, this was maybe not so good, mm-hmm. and I, I probably could be a harder working person, but I think I read this from a world-class Ironman back mm-hmm. when I was doing marathons, and mm-hmm. he said basically that, okay, the Ironman, it's 140 miles long, actually a little bit longer, and he said how do I get to be world-class? And people said, well, you probably outworked all the other people. And he said, no, that's not true. Because, you know, when you're an Ironman, everybody had, takes the attitude that they're going to work, work, work. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't outwork these guys. So then he said, well, maybe it's coaching. You know, people said, oh, well, you probably have a better coach. And he said, no, we all have money. We all like to get the best coach possible. So he goes, you can't work harder and you can't work smarter. He said the one thing that people don't do is they don't focus on recovery. They don't focus on rest. That's So his book Mm -hmm. was primarily about sleeping and nutrition and figuring out ways to relax your mind, relax your muscles. I guess heart, mind, body, soul, do something positive for all four dimensions. So so let me ask, um, what do you do to relax? You know, so that you could come back and work harder and smarter. Uh, I mean, Carly and I love, like, making popcorn. And recently, for her graduation gift, we got her, I, I got her a stand mixer. Okay. And so recently she got, like, an ice cream bowl. Okay. So we like making homemade ice cream together. Oh, cool. um, Side so, hustle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's what I told her. I was like, hey, money for teens. It's on Amazon. And... Uh, she, she and I do that. We watch movies together. Um, I read a lot. Um, even though I read a lot for school, I also like reading my yeah. own. You're and on your 20th book of the year. Yeah. T- yeah. I and mean, we're only in August. I'm, I was in class the other day, and I, I've had this book for about... It's The Death of Ivan Ilyich. Oh, I've had okay. it for about two weeks. Yeah, that's a good book. And that's my, a very short book by Tolstoy. Highly yeah. recommend. Yeah, I'm already on page 27, and I just okay. started it. Two it's hours very ago. short. It's like 80 pages. Mm-hmm. It's a world classic. See, that's that's what I read. I loved War and Peace, and so I was like, I love Tolstoy's writing. Yeah, and he's so great. I, I was he's like, great. 
maybe. So I was planning on reading this, and my teacher's like, yeah, by the way, you need to get this book for our class. And I'm like, oh, I might as well start reading uh, it now. Oh, there you go. So it kind of worked out perfectly. I so. taught that when I was a college instructor. Yeah, it's it's a great book so far. It's kind of, I'm only on chapter three, but it's pretty good so far. It's really powerful. The ending is super, super, super powerful. Interesting. Yeah. And I think reading, hanging with my girlfriend, and... Making popcorn, making ice making cream. Making popcorn, ice cream, and then I... I love exercising. I'm back into exercising like almost every day. Like podcasts, reading, or like educational, I retain information, but it's also, I, I have like a hard time relaxing. So it's like, if I can sometimes, if I, if I can convince myself that I'm relaxing, but also doing something at the same time. That's right. And I'm technically relaxing, so I'm fine. So. That's what led me into the reading and walking because yep. I couldn't justify exercising. <laughs> I don't have the time. Yep. And I couldn't justify reading because I don't have the time. Exactly. But I could justify doing both at the same time <laughs> under the banner of efficiency and, hey, this is good for me and yep. all those type of things. I get I get looks now walking around the gym with my book and people are like, why the hell do you have a book? I like know. you're wearing headphones. I'm I like, know. yeah, this is for my, my cardio workout after this. Well, I read Arnold Schwarzenegger's book back when Arnold yeah. Schwarzenegger was a guy that I kind of liked. And uh, there was, he went to the gym one time and saw this intellectual, super muscular guy wearing glasses and reading a book. And it was a revelation to him. He said hmm. he saw this when he was like 16 and he realized, oh my goodness, you could be both smart and strong. <laughs> so he decided yeah. to be both up until recently. Oh where apparently he's decided to be neither one. Just kidding. Well, Arnold, don't come and beat me up. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? I'll say it. I don't care. I'm not scared. <laughs> I'm not scared. There you go. That's how we'll end it. I'm not scared of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Definitely 2022. That's the perfect ending. Thank you.